It's Tuesday, June 7th, 2022, and this is the People's Podcast. This is Steak for Breakfast. Smokey, this is not Nam. This is bowling. There are rules. Today, Junior! America! Steak. For breakfast! So stand by! This episode of the podcast is brought to you, as always, by Man Rubs. Mm. Rubs, barbecue tools, blow torches, t-shirts, coffee cups, and all-around barbecue-related gear for you to make barbecue great again can be found at manrubs.com and on Instagram, manrubs. Use the code STEAK15 for 15% off. Also brought to you by Stay Ready Gear. They're at stayreadygear.com and on Instagram, stayreadygearusa. Holsters, custom kydex, mag carriers, tourniquet carriers, on and off duty gear, hot melted plastic, made just for you. Use the code STEAK for 5% off. Don't get ready. Stay ready. The Pillow King of Minnesota. The apparatus known as the MyPillow family. Big, big savings going on at MyPillow.com. When you earn a promo code STEAK at checkout, you can get savings like you've never imagined. And you can own the most comfortable night's sleep you've ever had. Promo code steak at checkout, mypillow.com forward slash steak is the website, or you can talk to a qualified pillow representative, 1 800 658 8045. The top tier of ear gear and the world's most technologically advanced in studio recording equipment can be found at Odyssey. Whether you're gaming, potting, are real. Oh, get those ear needs taken care of and done upright. Odyssey.com is the website. Find them on Facebook and Instagram as well. Mike down at West Coast Survival Arms has been servicing Southern California for over a decade. He's licensed FFL if you're into the tradesies and don't live in Canada. He's got a five-star rating as well. WestCoastSurvivalArms.com is the easy-to-use, newly redesigned website. He's on Facebook Messenger and via the telephone, 619-870-6992. Steak for Breakfast backs the blue. We love our first responders, and they're always working hard. While they're off-duty, they're probably wearing gear from Mediocre Medic, sweatshirts, T-shirts, flip-flops, fanny packs, and more. Stickers and patches for while they're on the job. And a pretty fire IG to boot. MediocreMedic.com is the website. And last but certainly not least, the gold standard of tactical flair can be found at Dumpbox, home of the Zero Fucks Duck. Don't know? Go ask Mark Joe Friday. Dumpbox.us is the website. You can find them on Instagram and Facebook as well. Friends, don't forget to follow the show on Instagram at Steak for Podcast Breakfast or via the website at SteakforBreakfastPodcast.com. There you'll find a link tree that'll take you to all our social medias, the website, our newest Substack, Telegram, and more. On that note, and to all our friends joining us today on the Patriot Podcast Network via the Roku app, from the Twitterverse, Instagram, Discord, and now via our verified account on Truth Social. Welcome, Tuesday edition, Steak for Breakfast Podcast, episode 141. I'm Roan. Noah's here. Yo. Antoinette's joined us. Hello, hello. Guys, we've got a banger of a show today to start the week. We've got constitutional attorneys, Christina Bob and Mike Yoder, joining us. We're going to be sitting down with influencer Jasmine Ivey as well. And we're going to have a couple of America First interviews. Arizona AG candidate Abe Hamaday is joining us for the first time. And we're going to circle back with Michigan 3 U.S. House Trump-endorsed candidate John Gibbs. Before we get any into any of that, let's jump into the news. All right, jumping in with us today to do the news. She's one of our favorite 
recurring guest. She's part of the Steak for Breakfast family. She currently is an attorney at Save America and doing just that. The lovely Miss Christina Bob, thanks for joining us on Steak for Breakfast. Thank you guys so much for having me. I love the show and happy to be back. I know it hasn't been too long. This time there wasn't as much of a gap and uh, I'm sure our listenership will be very appreciative of that. How's everything going with you? Busy, I suppose? Yeah, things are busy. And as you guys know, there's lots of candidates vying for President Trump's endorsement and taking a look at all the races and figuring out, you know, where we need volunteers and just kind of reviewing everything. But yeah, things look good. And I'm excited about the red wave in November. Yes. Is he endorsing any podcasts, I wonder? Just kidding. (laughs) Well, let's see. (laughs) You have like almost the whole Trump family. I I mean, not literal family. I mean, the the Trump world comes on your podcast. We love your show. Got to catch them all. So, yeah, while we have the full and total endorsement, let's go down the wrist. Uh, Cash Patel. Yep. Eric Knight. Yep. Nunez is on next week. I'm sure he'll be an endorser. He always shares us on truth. Christina, have you ever given us your full and total endorsement? Those words exactly like in the Liz Harrington (laughs) tweets. I give you my full and total (laughs) endorsement. Okay. There it is. All right. So... I can't wait for I hope Donald Trump makes one for us someday. That'd be great. <laughs> so we'll have to uh, take Liz Harrington to task if she ever comes on. We'll, yeah, you got to get Liz on. She's she's the best. I'm sure she'll come on. That'd be great. And yeah, we'll love to uh, talk about all the issues with her. She's a pretty big fire breather, just like yourself. So, yeah, she is. Well, the news cycle hasn't slowed down much. There's so much, just everything to talk about right now. Yeah. We could talk about gas prices or the economy. Um, you know, we could talk about all the stuff that's going on in schools. They're coming for our There's guns. lots to talk about. I actually, just before we started, I was just telling Noah that I think it was yesterday, the Public Interest Legal Foundation issued a new report on the tens of thousands of bad voter registrations in New Jersey. So there's over 33,000-ish records that have oh. fictitious uh, fake birthdays. There's mm. people registered from 19. I'm sorry. We thought it was supposed to be 1956, but they're actually registered for 956 AD, which the article notes is the time of the Byzantine empire. Mm. Uh, we also have people who are born in the future in 2028. Nice. There's some people who are registered as many as That's six possible. times or more. There's 8,200 people who exact same name, birthday, and address have multiple voter registrations. So we're talking about tens and tens of thousands of duplicate or wrong, fictitious voter registrations in New Jersey. Yeah, some of those numbers sound pretty alarming. I mean, I guess we could let the 2028 one slide. That would be like the first time hopefully Ron DeSantis, you know, runs for president after Donald Trump's done with his next uh, four years in office. (laughs) So I'm not really going to hold them too much to task. But speaking of our great friends in New Jersey, we do have some of the ones we really love, good friends of this show, Mike Crispy and Ian Smith, running in New Jersey, three and four today who are out there. So if you're uh, heading to the ballot box and listening to us on the way over there, make sure you cast your vote for those America First candidates that... uh, Especially if you're from the Byzantine Empire. There you go. Right. They're always or a- if you have six registrations, go ahead and vote six times. Yeah. I'm joking. Only you, vote once. Use at least but yeah. Check your please. registration. Yes, please check your registration. We saw actually Ambassador Grinnell was posting on uh, Twitter and True Social this week copies of uh, ballots that people have sent him, pictures of ballots where people have two, three, four ballots all sent to the same address. Hmm. And yep. uh, it's, it's just something that's widespread. You know, we've we've got California going down here today. They, they have primary votes, and there's, there's quite a few great contenders out here. You've got... Um, you know, like Cordy Williams and, and several of the ones we've had on this show that are running for everywhere from the House and Senate and then some local races. So make sure you get out and vote. Big voting day. Um, but, yeah, getting back to, like, the news, all the stuff we should be talking about, which are definitely affecting the hardworking, blue-collar, middle-class families in the country, we are instead are going to waste this entire segment on talking about 
January 6th Committee Primetime mm. Edition, which is coming <laughs> later this week. So, yeah, it's, it's been reported and now confirmed that former senior ABC News producer James Goldston has been brought in to make the show more marketable for primetime. Marketable? Oh, right. Yes. And even things like, well, the Watergate hearings, they were cast in regular business hours during regular times of the day, like 9 to 3 p.m. back in the day. They weren't brought in prime time to make it more of like a, an election targeted issue as this is going. And uh, we've seen some interesting developments, everything from, you know, some of the usuals who are out there complaining about everything and trying to make up their own narrative to January 6th to some of our great friends and great friends of the show. Like we, we learned last week, right before we broke for the weekend that a uh, good friend, Dr. Navarro was in Lake shackles. Uh, right. Yeah. On steak for breakfast. And, uh, you know, it's one of those things where well, he wasn't on steak for breakfast in leg shackles. No, no. <laughs> that would, that would You're be new. really serious about your commentary and we, you got to stick to the rules. We usually don't have to ask that hard for Dr. Navarro, even though he did turn us down for Tucker this week. That's completely understandable. Eh. Yeah, I think like Tim Poole and Tucker, those are the ones you could probably skirt us for. But uh, he's getting ready to drop his new book in September. So sometime over the summer, he's already promised to come and join us. And uh, I'm sure he'll have a lot to talk about in addition to his book after the developments of last week. Uh, let's let's jump into some audio. Matt Gates was one of the people who was breaking the news last week. Obviously, he was up working on Capitol Hill and talked about it on his podcast. We also have breaking news right now that I want to go to. Uh, Peter Navarro was just indicted by a federal grand jury on criminal contempt of Congress. And this is a total abuse of our justice system. The January 6th committee is illegitimate, and thus no American should be held in contempt of Congress for not complying with a committee that is not duly formed and duly populated. When we had Republicans that Leader McCarthy had selected to serve on the committee, Nancy Pelosi kicked them off. And she did so because she wanted to run an illegitimate process. Mm -hmm. And you know who was all too willing to run that illegitimate process with Nancy Pelosi? Liz Cheney and Adam Kinzinger. So it isn't real. It isn't proper. These contempt proceedings are not justified. And it continues to concern us that the goal right now is not for them to be able to deliver for the American people, but uh, for them to be able to just try to scare people about conservatives. Maybe everyone's a domestic extremist. Maybe everyone needs their gun taken away. Maybe everyone's contemptuous. It's quite something. I think we've got a, a clip, guys, about uh, just just how the left sort of frames that up. Uh, let's go to it. If you're looking at sort of the, the headwinds into the midterms, Democrats, listen, we're supposed to lose everything. History says that. We have an opportunity yes. to change the dynamic. Mm -hmm. Like George Bush changed the dynamic with, with national security. You know what? The economy was a big issue when George Bush was running his midterm, but also they never talked about it. They talked about national security. We were fighting if two Democrats wars. are not talking about saving children's lives and stopping hate crime and a woman's right to, to choose what happens in her body this, this election cycle, well, then shame on Democrats. Belcher on Meet the Press saying, ignore people's economic concerns, ignore inflation, ignore supply chain issues, ignore gas prices, just run on these culture issues, just run on guns and abortion. Well, you know what? I think that the culture is swinging our way. I think that people want to protect life protect unborn life, and then certainly protect life in our schools, in our communities, not by passing gun control, but by ensuring that we get rid of the gun-free zones that make some of our most vulnerable soft targets. Mm, true story there. Mm -hmm. now, yeah, he's exactly right. Now, Christina, Matt's a lawyer, and, and so mm -hmm. are you. 
Um, you know, there, there's there's a lot of things going on. I, sometimes when people hear, you know, a, a lot of people come on the show, they're, they're either candidates, they worked in the former uh, Trump administration, or, or, or they're just out there and right now as, as you know, political, um, they do commentary and, and analysis, and they talk about non-select committee, unselect committee. And then you right. hear about, like, you know, Kinzinger and... Uh, and, yeah, and, how, and why Cheney. it's illegitimate. Yeah. You want to just give like a, a little description of like le- yeah. how so this every, goes? Any committee that is going to have the power of Congress, you know, have have the power of the U.S. Congress to issue subpoenas or do what this fake committee is trying to do has to be set up according to the rules, according to law. You can't just get a group of your friends together and be like, hey, we're now acting on behalf of Congress and can do whatever we want. And one of the requirements, there's a few that this committee uh, doesn't comply with, but one of the most glaring is that they have to have a ranking member. So you have the committee chair, which is the, the majority, and you've got, in this case, it would be Nancy Pelosi, the Democrats, but then you're also required to have a ranking member from the Republican Party, meaning another committee that has the most senior Republican on that committee is considered the ranking member. You you have to have a ranking member on any subcommittee to make sure that it is a valid, lawfully formed committee that has the power of Congress. They didn't do that. This is literally just a group of their friends that they could get together. They want to make it look bipartisan. So they got two Democrats calling themselves Republicans and i.e. Liz Cheney and Adam Kinzinger. And they're trying to fool the American people into believing that this is a bipartisan legitimate committee. It is not. It is not compiled of the requisite types of people and ranking members and the types of members of Congress that comport with the law to make this investigation legal. It is not. And that's Peter Navarro's point, is he's saying this is not a lawfully formed committee. This is a group of thugs who are targeting their political opponents and they're they're abusing, they're using the color of law trying to make it look like they're, they have this legal process in place, but they, they don't. So make no mistake about it. When Donald Trump calls this an unselect committee and the Republicans are saying, you know, it's not a legitimate committee, they mean legally this committee does not comport with the rule of law. And it doesn't. It doesn't. So uh, the fact that they handcuffed Peter Navarro should, I don't want to say scare because I don't want any, I don't believe in, you know, living off of fear, but it should alarm every American to say, hang on a second. They are not only abusing their power, they are way overstepping what their lawful authority is. They don't have the actual authority to do this. So uh, it's it's quite alarming to see the lengths that they will go to try to hold on to their power. And the other thing, sorry, if I could add one more thing. Oh, keep going. The other thing that's particularly frustrated. Hey, you let me you let me use the microphone. <laughs> um, <laughs> one more thing that's particularly frustrating is now they're gonna hold their their witnesses or whatever you want to call it and put primetime television. But what about those of us, myself included? that got hauled before this committee behind closed doors where they wouldn't let anybody see what we said. God forbid they allow my testimony to be played openly into the public. Not only did they not air it publicly, but they ordered me that I'm not allowed to have any type of reporting of it. I'm not allowed to produce it. I'm not allowed to share with anybody uh, the contents, you know, whether it's a video or audio recording of my interview. And it's it's just really frustrating to see them t- pick and choose, cherry pick their witnesses, who we all know and suspect will go up there and lie about all these crazy facts that they want to make up. But then those of us that are having our rights infringed and that are getting called before this fake committee threatened you know, by the U.S. Marshal Service showing up at your house 
and they won't let our side of the story come out, I mean, it's not American and gross. No, I mean, you have to uh, really take into context what you said. We've had so many people come through this show who have been, uh, you know, brought before the committee and, and some of them just don't care. You know, some of the, some of the, the influencers are the ones that, I mean, they just hold such a, a bad hat towards that thing because, you know, they, they see some, like, you know, they go up there and they're like, what is your interpretation of this meme you shared in and around <laughs> January 6th? And, uh, I mean, we're all Mel Gibson meme appreciators on this show, but yeah. I just think that doesn't really take into context anything that happened on that day. And then, and then you know, th- we've had so many people come off and say they ask questions, but when they ask them, they do it so condescendingly. Like, do you or believe or not believe in the deep state? And if you do, can you explain to us what that means? And it's like, how does that have any context to anything that logistically happened on that day? It was a complete breakdown of everything from the pre-planning that went on where they denied Donald Trump stuff and, you know, that meeting that he had with, with uh, Peter Navarro and Cash Patel and, and, and Miller a, a week before it happened and, and all the way up through what, you know, the eventual consequence was, was they were able to take it and politicize it and turn it into the three ring circuits. It's about to be this Thursday night in primetime. So, you know, we have to just take into context, like what's really going on here and kind of prepare the listenership for, you know, what we're going to be seeing moving forward. Uh, my House Minority Leader, Kevin McCarthy, he jumped on with Maria this weekend. I, I pulled a clip from that. He was talking about, you know, she was talking about the subpoena that he got. And, and he really didn't answer, answer the question, but uh, he did it the way only Kevin McCarthy can. Did you receive a subpoena from the January 6th committee? And if so, how did you respond? I, I did receive a subpoena, and uh, I, I requested, I asked for information, 11 pages. Uh, I sent a letter to this committee. I sent a letter to this committee a year ago when they asked to talk to me, and they never responded. Um, I have, my opinion of the committee has not changed, because remember what this committee is. Remember what the purpose is. First, Nancy Pelosi has broken 232-year history of the House by not allowing the minority to appoint anyone to the committee. This committee does not have 13 members as the power of the House voted for it to have. But what's even worse about this committee is it's beyond its legislative scope. You know, there are separations of powers. The House does not have criminal investigation, but what they're doing in this committee is going after their political foes, their opponents. We've watched it time and again. Their role should be why, is, why was the Capitol so ill-prepared that day? What do we have to do in the future to make sure it's not? The Senate had a bipartisan committee look at it, and that's exactly what they looked at, the legislative role of the House. But what we have found with one-party rule of Democrats taking over the House, the Senate, and the presidency, they used the power to go after their political opponents instead of bringing down gasoline prices. Today, it has now doubled since the gasoline price since President Biden has taken office. Are they going to have any hearings Mm -hmm. on that? Are they going to secure our border? Are they going to stop fentanyl from coming across? Are they going to let our parents have a say in their kids' education? This is the role that Congress should be having, but not under Nancy Pelosi and one-party rule of Democrats. So, like I said, he gave an answer usually the way that Kevin McCarthy does. He, he briefly answered the question, but didn't give any context and then turned it into like, you know, Republican stumping points, little monologue right there. Uh, you could see if you watch the video, Maria was getting a little agitated and nodding her head. And she tried to cut him off a couple times at the end because she wanted more details like she usually does. Uh, she tries to get to the bottom of things on her show. But I don't know, Christina, what do you think? It's, uh, you know, you, you could sense McCarthy's frustration, but at the same time, mm-hmm. I feel like, Legally, was there any way to push back any harder on this than we're pushing back on right now? 
Uh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, <laughs> I think there, there could have been lawsuits from Republicans in the House saying this isn't a lawfully uh, formed committee and you are targeting our constituents, you know, because Republicans are a lot of these patriots that are being targeted are represented by Republican members of the House. They're saying you're targeting our constituents and this is not a lawfully formed committee. And everyone's kind of sitting back going, you know, what are they doing? And I, I think at least for now, they may get away with it if they don't get too crazy. So like if they do this media stump where they've got their people come out and they talk about how we're all a bunch of terrorists and how, you know, why Democrats are so great, people will tolerate it because we have built up a high tolerance for this type of BS. But then I think, you know, if that's as far as they go, okay, fine. But if they try to go any further, I, I like this whole putting Peter Navarro in leg shackles and arresting him at the airport and that's trying to target their, yeah, way too much. Exactly. And I, I think Americans are getting to the point. I mean, look at you guys, you know, you've got your podcast going, you're doing really well because Americans are just getting to the point where they don't want to just tolerate this stuff anymore. And it's like, how far are you going to push us before you force us to do something? Because none of us really want to be fighting this fight, right? None of us are like, hey, you know what? I'd like to push back against my oppressive government today. <laughs> none of us want to be doing that, but we have to because we don't want to live in a, you know, communist state. So, or tyrannical state. So, they, they just keep pushing us and they're pushing us all to a point where we just have to stand up and push back. No, you, you make a whole lot of sense there. You know, we've already talked about how they've brought in the former uh, senior executive producer from ABC to kind of make it more marketable mm -hmm. for primetime this Thursday night. In addition to that, I don't know if you saw it kind of skated under the radar yesterday with all the stuff that was going on, but apparently all of the people who are connected to the proud boys that are going to be up in part of this committee, uh, so they were blanketly charged with sedition earlier this week. Uh, it wasn't like count one, count two. They just like went across the board. They're going for like the shock value. They feel like if they could get enough of them to corroborate, maybe there's some backroom dealings going on with like plea deals and stuff like that. Or regardless of what their plan was, they have to take into account there. There could have been as many as a million people there uh, on January 6th. And for the, I don't know, maybe even dozens of people they're looking to actually do anything to in general, it's, it's less than a fraction of a fraction of 1%. So, you know, it's one of those things where you, you talk about them maybe going over the top. I think that that those blanket charges that came out this week is probably a good example of how probably, you know, what they're starting to do. Yeah, and it's kind of funny to me that they think that they're going to intimidate the Proud Boys with <laughs> criminal charges. <laughs> like, I'm pretty sure the Proud Boys know it better than they do. And I mean, to the extent that some of them have prior charges, you know, that they, they have to worry about second or third counts or whatever, you know, that's extortion basically. But, um, I don't think the proud boys is a group that I would use that tactic on, but you know, they can try it. This isn't going well for them and they're grasping at straws. The American people are rising up. We're taking back our country. We're getting involved. Parents are getting involved in school boards. We're cleaning out school boards. We're cleaning out state houses and state senates all the way up through our Congress and eventually our presidency and we're cleaning it up and they're losing their grip on power. They'll be lucky if they just lose their office. You know, I, I fully expect eventually to see some criminal charges come out of this. And I think they're doing everything they can to kick that can down the road. And they, the best way for them to kick that can down the road is to continue to steal elections and to be as corrupt as possible to try to prevent us, us American patriots 
from taking back our country. I don't, I don't think it's going to work, you know, in the end, I think they're all going to go down really hard, but they're going to make it hard for us to, to take them out, but we will. Yeah. You make the point that they're losing their grip of power, but they're also losing their grip on sanity as well, because Mm -hmm. everything that we try to fix, like whether it be just the insanity going on in the schools or you name it, the more you try to be like, Hey, this is kind of fucked up. Like this doesn't make sense or this is weird. The more extreme they go on the op, on the opposite end of what you're trying to do. It's just like, extreme, oh, oh, you, you like, don't like that? How about this? How about drag queens performing for children and I having mean, kids I, pay? Like, I wasn't is that what you that, mean, Noah? Yes. <laughs> I mean, just put extreme. on the clown wig already. Let's do it. No, it's true. And, and, and you guys make a lot of sense. You know, I am, I am going to have to refer back to every person that's been appointed in the Biden administration and say that maybe the, uh, the craziness is transitory. It's a good possibility. This is transitory. Right. But it's only transiting left. Yeah. It's like big time. Only it only makes left hand turns. Speaking of people that have made left hand turns, former Republican House uh, member uh, Rep Riggleman jumped on mr riggleman oh no not riggleman yeah (laughs) you know i've got three of your favorites lined up i'm not going to tease their names but by the time we get to the end you're going to absolutely love them believe it or not he jumped on his name again riggleman oh there you go he jumped on with jake tapper this weekend uh to talk to jake about why he no longer considers himself a republican oh and how we're going to spin that into the january 6 narrative let's hear it he wriggled his way out of it january 6 was an attempted coup your opinion was this an attempted coup personal opinion yeah yes it was an attempt. Yes. Um, and, uh, you know, oh, if you just go oh. by the definition of coup in the dictionary, if you look at the uh, uh, groups that were involved, I just have a unique perspective uh, because we can look at, at certain things. By President Trump. Probably gets paid to, to say yes. it now. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, attempted coup, I think, uh, when you look at the people around him and the fact that there's awareness or they're talking about things that are, let's, let's be honest, they're blatantly untrue. Mm. They're propaganda. Um, and I've just had the good fortune, it's actually the awful fortune, uh, being involved with conspiracy theories, as you know, oh. we already talked about this back in uh, 2019, 2020. I did this well before the committee was doing it. So I've been looking at this data for a long time. So it oh, gives me probably data. a unique perspective that was even pre-committee on what we were seeing with disinformation. And I think that's a real threat you know, to the American... I, I think it's a real threat to America, but I also believe it's a real challenge to, contri- those, to try to control those multiple media channels that are sort of mainlining this insanity into people's heads. Your former Republican colleague, uh, Congresswoman Liz Cheney, who Oof. is the vice chair uh, of this committee, uh, she said this about the Republican Party airing this weekend. Take a listen. We have too many people now in the Republican Party who are not taking their responsibility seriously and who have pledged their allegiance and loyalty to Donald Trump. It is contrary to everything conservatives believe to embrace a personality cult. And yet that is what so many in my party are doing today. A personality cult. Do you agree with that characterization? I do. Too many Republicans. It's a personality cult, not a party. It is. And, uh, you know, I, I got to see that firsthand, as you know, um, with our team and the text messages. I got to see that firsthand. Can I just ask you, I'm sorry to interrupt, sure. but we're running out of time and I want to ask you, you were a Republican congressman. Mm-hmm. Do you still consider yourself a Republican? Uh, I think the party left me some time ago. Oh, I don't. God. And um, I think that's something that I've, you know, I've had to grapple yeah. with even behind the scenes. What I've seen behind the said. scenes has even pushed me further away that the party has moved away from conservative principles to this cult of personality that Liz Cheney is talking about. She's absolutely correct. Um, and when you see it behind the door, when you see the data, uh, when you see the investigation, when you see those smart people and what they come up with, Jake, it's absolutely stunning 
uh, that cult of personality, but also the belief systems that I don't think any real conservative could follow at any point. It's absolutely insane what people have sort of put their arms around. And if you look at Stop the Steal, if you look at, uh, you know, some of the COVID issues with the, the vaccination conspiracy theories, when you look at all the things in total, the fact is that a lot of that has been pushed by people around the president. It's been pushed by people who support the president. And seeing this, the actual words on paper through private types of things or through public types of things is absolutely shocking. And there's no way that I can continue. Did he just call Donald that. Trump the president? Yeah, I think he did. He did. He acknowledged that Donald Trump was the president. <laughs> Good old. Wow. At least no. he got that right. Well, I, I don't. And I was it's funny because I, I, the comment I was about to make before he said that was, do they know Trump is not actually in office? They keep calling it a cult of personality, but like Trump's not in office. All of this is coming from the American people and from people that want to get involved. It's not it's not Trump. He's golfing. We've heard so many political pundits on the other side of the aisle than ours. Uh, say, you know, we're, we're, we're getting a little over a year and a half since he's been in office right now. How much longer? I mean, even Peter Ducey asked. Um, How long until his free rent is up? Yeah, Crane Jean-Pierre this week in, in the thing. He's like, you know, we're, we're a year and a half out of when Donald Trump left office. How much longer are we going to blame him and Vladimir Putin for the things that are going wrong in this country? And it's like when the media is starting to get it and people like Bill Maher are even saying the same things, who's, you know, to the left of most. Uh, it, it's, it's pretty incredible to see how fast that change comes, but then you see how fast they've, you know, tried to erase Trump era policies. And I guess you can kind of say it's uh, accurate. I think the only people who can listen to a news clip like that, like watching the actual show and not along in agreement are people who have absolutely no idea what's happening in the world. I mean, they, to, to Noah's point earlier, you know, we're talking about a party that wants to perform sex shows for children and genitally mutilate kids without their parental consent. And they want to call us insane. Yeah. The only way you could possibly agree with what they're saying is if you have no idea what they're talking about. Yeah. And, and when they do things like you're not getting your funding for free school lunches anymore, if you don't let boys pee in the girl's bathroom moving forward, wouldn't that cause, what is it? Uh, food uh, insecurity or something? How dare you? Oh my God. <laughs> but you know, it, it, it's one of those things where it, it may not be easy to sometimes grasp what the narrative is when it's as black and white. And I'm not saying that racially. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> as that, like, oh. thank you. Um, you know, Boys pee in the girls' bathroom or no more free school lunches. Uh, it's pretty easy to wrap your brain around. There's not too much uh, rocket science or quantum physics that goes into that. Well, maybe they're just trying to get ready for the crickets for lunch. Well, there you go. I'm wondering, I, I'm wondering why they're hanging their hat on that argument. Does that strike anybody else as weird? Like, there's so many issues they could be tackling and taking credit for, even issues that they caused that they couldn't There's enough time. There is enough time for Democrats to fix the issues that they caused and continue to brainwash America that's not paying attention and going, look at we fixed all of these problems that Trump caused, even though he didn't cause them, but they could say that he caused them and like people will forget or not know or whatever. But they're not doing that. They're going real hard after weird sex things and guns and I don't even know like what what is it that they're pushing that's like actually we actually need it oh, i've just came I, I, I don't understand why they're hanging their hat on drag queens and men competing in women's sports and weird sex i don't even want to call it sex education sex grooming for children that's another big thing that they were like 
we're you know don't say gay that whole thing yeah we're, we're not grooming Why are they doing yeah, this? it kind of looks like you're grooming a little bit yeah it looks a lot like grooming yeah well i think the new campaign platform moving forward i'm gonna have to give partial credit to christina bob you know we've come up with some bangers on this show like the axis of oil mm. but uh so the three g's Grooming, guns, and Green New Deal. That, that's, the, oh. that's basically the midterm platform for the Democrats right now. They're going to choke us out of the energy industry. They're going to have, you know, guys dressed up as ass-cheekless chapped cowgirls triple, <laughs> dance for your kids. G-string. Right, and then they're going to try and pass some BS gun legislation. And, uh, you know, it's one of those things where that's pretty much all they got to hang their hats on right now. Uh, that, and that and what they're trying to make it the narrative of January 6th. But it's so weird because they actually could fix problems and take credit for it. They have time to do that before the election. And I don't, I don't get it. I, I think they've all lost their minds. Right, I think, well, in our, in our later news segment of the show, we're going to talk about as the Biden world turns. Maybe we can reverse psychology. As the Biden fix, world fix the turns. Border. Oh, that sounds- Thank you. But you know, it's, it's one of those things where uh, we saw, just yesterday where they had the, you know, enacting of the Defense Production Act in regards to solar panels and, and those kind of green energies that are all subsidized through, you know, China making money at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. And, and it just shows you gas prices like here in Southern California, it's over six and a half dollars for a gallon of regular at any gas station mm-hmm. uh, goes up higher as you go move closer to the freeway exits. But, you know, by my house, which is considerably inland from the freeways, I went yesterday with six fifty four for regular Wow. Well, it, it hit $5 here in Jupiter, Florida. Yeah, and they just which, don't care. They, I they, mean, we're Florida, yeah. you know? Well, we, it shouldn't be $5. Look at Nevada. They're usually in like the top third of cheapest places to buy gas in the country. And they're up there. They've been moving in and out of the top three, going between three and four for like the last six months. You know, we've had Adam Lexall come on here several times and talk about how energy has never been a huge issue in Nevada. Not even during like the gas shortages during the Carter administration when people in his family were, you know, house reps and governors and stuff like that. And they never had to campaign on energy. They always had, you know, really low fuel prices and stuff like that. And now they're just up there with, with California, Alaska, Hawaii, and some of those other states that are just out of control, New York and New Jersey right now. And, uh, you know, it doesn't help when people like former Republican and house member Denver Riggleman goes on CNN and talks to Jake Chat. <laughs> but what's even I can't. but what's even worse is when current Republican House members like Tom Rice goes and talks about how people like Liz Cheney are an outstanding citizen and she make an amazing speaker of the house, I guess. If the Republicans win back the House, do you think McCarthy should be speaker? I'm not gonna answer that one right now. Yeah. Yeah. We'll see. We'll see what happens. And and what about Liz Cheney? Mm. I think she'd be a great speaker. <laughs> really? Yeah I do. I think she's a real Republican. I think she is very conservative, and I think she's a fearless leader. Now, Christina, you completely agree with that narrative right there. <laughs> <laughs> you know me so well. You had me pegged. Oh. I don't, again, I just, this is the same thing that I was saying about the Democrats. Like, the only people that can nod their head along with that are people who are completely oblivious to what's happening on the Republican side of the aisle. The Republican side of the aisle is America's waking up. We're coming back. We're, we're returning to our conservative roots. We're stopping the BS. We're pushing back on this. You have to tolerate my sex talk and you have to tolerate all my weird issues. And we're saying, no, we're just going to live like normal Americans. And we're pushing back on all of this oppressiveness. And to have a Republican say, oh, Liz Cheney is a real Republican. I, again, I think he's just absolutely oblivious to what's happening in the country. And, and, you know, we talk about the importance of voting, 
voter integrity. Like we try to get as many comment or I'm sorry, candidates on the show as possible. And sometimes, you know, we get feedback like some pretty prominent people who are in like Republican politics who who haven't been on the show. They've like messaged me on social medias and they'd be like, you know, I, I get it, like some of the bigger national ones, like it's cool when you have on the Joe Kents and like Ian Smith and like people that have like, you know, you see their faces and you legitimately know who they are. He's like, but some of them are just like so such obscure like house races, like they're either going to win or lose. Most of it depends on money, maybe an endorsement. And I think to my head, like that guy that we just listened to who calls himself, you know, a GOP house member who called Liz Cheney like pretty much the gold standard in Republican conservative Beesh. politics right now. You guys voted for that guy in, in a previous election, and he's filling up a Republican House seat voting against everything that's, you know, America first. So regardless of that, the people that we bring on the show, they come on the show for a reason. They have amazing platforms, and uh, it, 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 you know, heightens the alert of the importance of voting in these, you know, primary elections and midterm elections to make sure that your House members are uh, going to do the things that reflect the values that you want to see, be seen throughout your communities. Don't you agree on that, Christina? We, we have so many yeah, people in there. Yeah, it's interesting who- that they're reaching out to you, basically telling you you don't know how to do the job that you're doing when you guys, in fact, are actually changing the way America is receiving their information. People, people who listen to your show aren't going to CNN, MSNBC, or probably even Fox to get their information. They're listening to your podcast and they're listening to similar podcasts and they're watching One America News or Real America's Voice. They're going to sources where they believe they're getting truth. And I, I think it goes to show that whoever's reaching out to you saying, hey, you know, you're not doing it right. You need to do it this way because this is how it's, you know, quote unquote done. I think I think they just don't know. They've they've missed the wave, right? Like they missed the they missed the movement. They don't understand what's happening. And and I think that's like an excellent point that you make because, you know, the context of some of those conversations are they, they try to make it sound like, you know, just in layman's terms, like, bro, you guys are getting bigger than this. You need to like think bigger. And I'm like, okay, it's like, we can't always have like top end people on the show. It's just not available. Cash and Christina are going to come on all the time. And, and we're going to get, you know, those, those top tier, most sexiest candidates, the Herschel Walkers will come through, you know, Blake Masters has become a recurring guest, Eric Greitens, people like that. You know, it, it, it's it, Carrie Lake comes on here. This is going to be her sixth time that she's going to be on with us this, uh, this coming up Friday. And it's like, dude, these people are running like national campaigns, even if they're running in like house seats and like Senate seats, like, you know, Joe Kent's running a national campaign. He's on Tucker Carlson twice a week. And you, you can't take out of the fact of the matter that if you give the same courtesy to people that are running in similar races and might not have, like, the national draw, well, maybe by the time they get to the House, they actually go and do their job instead of worrying about writing books or being on TV, which seems to be the case with a lot of people on the both sides of the aisle, to yeah. be honest with you. Yep. Well, now we're going to have in our last clip of uh, All-Stars, I said there was three of them. We had Denver Riggleman. We've had Tom Rice. <laughs> I'm going to say it one more time, Denver Riggleman. I can't. Now, his name has changed over the years. It's been shifty. Pencil neck. Oh, geez. Oh, geez. Last I heard, it was watermelon head, according to Donald Trump. Watermelon head? Watermelon head. That's what he called them. Wow. Can I ask you a question before you play this clip? Yes. Like, because I've done this, you know, when I was a journalist on American News, I understand, like, putting a show together. How awful of an experience is it to actually sit and listen through these clips to pick them for the show? I don't do it. Roan does. You know, we, we, we've actually talked about it on several occasions and with guests, people who are, who, who do politics and, and do a lot of commentary. Uh, most recently we talked about it with Raheem Kassam and it's one of the reasons why he's pulled back from his national polls podcast since February, how mentally exhausting it is to bring 
at the end, what what could be like maybe even like a little bit of a hopeful narrative and wading through all the garbage to mm. get there is there's ab- so much garbage. I, I applaud you for listening to this because like even listening to it on your show, I'm like, I don't want to listen to Schiff. I don't want to listen to Schiff. But yeah, good for you. You guys have an excellently produced podcast. All right, let's do it. There it is. She doesn't want to listen to Shift. No, 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 no. I'm just, I- I'm just kidding. We're going to hear him anyway. Our goal is to present uh, the narrative of what happened in this country, how close we came to losing our democracy, what led to that violent attack on the 6th. The American people, I think, know a great deal already. They've seen a number of bombshells already. Uh, There's a great deal they haven't seen. But perhaps most important is the public hasn't seen it uh, woven together, how one thing led to another, how one line of effort to overturn the election led to another and ultimately led to terrible violence, the first uh, non-peaceful transfer of power in our history. Uh, So we want to tell that comprehensive narrative. And uh, we're aiming at people, an audience, frankly, that still has an open mind about these facts. Yeah. Uh, We want to counter uh, the continuing propagation of big lies. And and that's that's what our goal is. It's interesting that he says our audience are the people who still have an open mind about these facts. Empty Because to me, that that goes to show that he knows the vast majority of America does not have an open mind about these facts anymore. We know exactly what happened. We know exactly what they did and what they are doing and what they're trying to do. And the way he phrased that, I think, is really interesting because I think it goes to show that he recognizes that they're losing the battle on this. Yeah, they certainly are. And. (laughs) We're just trying to get the the last dregs of people who don't know what the fuck's going on, and we're going to just make some shit up to it. The only them. idiots that aren't paying attention, that yeah. is our target audience. We're basically uh, running an algorithm of uh, people who take <laughs> pictures of their lunch on Instagram, and we're going to just target them. You know, the, their number one thing always has been, since probably before the Obama administration, probably towards the end of the Clinton one, with the Democrat Party is projection. Yeah. Uh, if they're set claiming it, that means they're doing it frantically and, and rampantly. Um, there was a couple of true statements he made in there, and it goes back to what Christina was saying about putting up this show. You kind of have to listen and wade through the bullshit and get through, you know, find some of the facts that he said in there. There's things that people have not seen yet. There's things that people may never see. And how they try to string them together. Now, I heard Jim Jordan talking on, on, on uh, I believe it was, well, he was on Fox News yesterday. I can't remember what show it was. And he was talking about how Nancy Pelosi is not going to be giving up her emails and her text messages. We're not going to also see anything from Mayor Bowser or I forget what the top position is, the whatever of arms of the uh, Capitol the Police. Arms. Yeah, we're not yeah. going to we're not going to see any of the communications from them. We're just going to see what this committee wants us to see in regards to them. Like he said, telling a story and building a narrative. Um, mm-hmm. very interesting facts there that some of the key players in the game, like they'll go out and arrest Peter Navarro for being, you know, in between a rock and a hard place, uh, when it comes to executive privilege, which we're going to talk about in a second after we hear from him. Uh, but you know, the fact of the matter is, is that we're seeing the same kind of things be granted to people like Pelosi, like, uh, Bowser and all the other people that were involved in, in those planning and strategy meetings going up to January 6th that, uh, you know, they're never going to see the light of day. And I just think it's interesting that, you know, the public's going to be not told a complete story when it comes down to this. Because I think when you just kind of lay all the cards out on the table, you're going to see this is actually, you know, what happened on January 6th is, is what we've been saying for, for so long. It's just a complete lack of communication and breakdown in the logistical things that were needed to happen. Plus all the bad stuff that happened, like 
not the people getting rowdy, but being let into the buildings. There's there's documentaries coming out now where it like legitimately shows it. Like the people walk up to the door, the magnetized doors that we've talked about. You know, they try to like move them from the inside, then they like look up at the camera, and then another guy comes and looks up at the camera, and then the door just opens up and they start like waving people in. Police pulling back the bike racks and the fences to let people in. And to say that those magnetic doors are, you know, I mean, we have some Jedi's out there. Maybe mm. is that what happened? Like, <laughs> well, I mean, he waved he waved to the camera and they opened. So. These are not the doors. He knew the secret for. handshake. Who oh. knew? Who knew that all you had to do was wave to the guy watching the security footage and they'd open the door to you. Maybe he, maybe he had a pizza. Have you caught up on Obi-Wan yet? <laughs> I would open the door to anybody who showed up with a pizza. Right? <laughs> True story. Yeah. I would. Have you? I have not. Come on, man. You gotta get your Jedi line tricks. That's pretty good. He hasn't used them yet. Um, all right. In our last audio clip of this segment, and it's pulled from last night, uh, in turning down steak for breakfast. Dr. Peter Navarro, <laughs> soup to nuts appreciator of everything Donald Trump. He was with him for the entire ride. One of only, I believe, five that was there from the uh, escalator to the departure from the airport in Washington, D.C. Uh, joined Tucker to talk about his experience slash detainment that happened uh, last Friday. And let's hear it from Dr. Navarro himself. By arresting Peter Navarro, they're hoping to shut up one of the most vocal critics before it begins. But Peter Navarro is a brave man. He's not shutting up. He joins us now for his first interview since being arrested. He is, as we told you, a former senior, senior White House advisor and the author of Taking Back Trump's America, Why We Lost the White House and How We'll Win It Back. He joins us now. Peter Navarro, thanks it. so much for coming on. Um, how was this allowed? Th this is so outside the bounds, yeah. unless I'm missing something, and I hope if, if so, you'll correct it. This is so outside the bounds of how a civilized country behaves. Did you see it coming? If not, how do you think this was allowed to happen? Uh, certainly, I, I saw it coming. Uh, we have entered really dangerous, unprecedented waters. Um, Tucker, I was in a position uh, where a partisan committee uh, has weaponized the investigatory powers for the purpose of uh, preventing Donald Trump from ever getting back in the White House. Uh, they subpoenaed me illegally, and um, I, I was faced with the untenable choice of upholding executive privilege, which was not my privilege to waive. That's Donald Trump's privilege to waive. So I did my duty to the president. I did my duty to this country. And here we sit. And, and the civil suit I filed, Tucker, I hope will be historically important because there's really two constitutional issues here at stake. The first, with this weaponization of Congress's investigatory powers, is a clear violation of the separation of powers in our Constitution. Yes. The legislative branch is not supposed to be the judge, jury, and execution. I heard one of your commentators there when you played that clip, the purpose was to punish Peter Navarro. That's not their role. That's the judiciary's role. So that alone um, is sufficient to render what they have done illegal and therefore what the Department of Justice did uh, illegal. But the bigger issue here, Tucker, and this is where the Department of Justice and committee were so disingenuous. I assert Executive, the executive privilege prevents me from, from complying with their subpoenas. And instead of going to talk and negotiate the privilege with Donald Trump, as the law requires, they went into this fanciful and absurd notion that Ooh. Biden, a sitting incumbent president, could strip his immediate predecessor of executive privilege and me 
a staff member to the president of what the Justice Department itself, as you pointed out, uh, has absolute testimonial immunity. It's absurd on its face. Wait, can every step along the line. Go ahead. Well, I have no doubt that it's unconstitutional and it's clearly an abuse of power. But I just want to get to the center of it, which is January 6th. This is the January 6th. Yeah. Committee. You saw Liz Cheney in that disgusting, ridiculous, fawning interview <laughs> say this. So, it's also chilling. Yes. Did you have anything at all to do with January 6th? <laughs> no, no, it's it. You, you had that ex- exactly right. And and what what you and I have now both said and which is absolute fact is that the the mission of that partisan witch hunt kangaroo committee, which is unduly authorized and not properly constituted and has no subpoena power, they have only one mission to concoct a fake hoax around January 6th based on criminal charges against Trump to prevent him from running for re-election and taking back the White House in 2025 January. That's all this is about. And the idea, look, Tucker, this was, I, I, you, I, you said it, I lived right next door, 50 yards from the FBI. On the Wednesday night, I sent an email to Patricia Alloy, the deputy uh, attorney, and said, look, I'm seeking a modus vivendi here. I'm stuck between a rock and a hard place. Let's see what we can do. I gave her the name of an attorney. I told Walter Giordano, the FBI agent, who'd come banging on my door the week before. Hey, Walter. I'm here. Just call me whatever you need. You don't need to bang on my door. They chose a different route. They didn't call my attorney. Instead, they went with this shock and awe terrorist strategy. To, yeah, to, yeah, yeah, let me go to the airport and then, then take me with five agents like I'm an al-Qaeda terrorist, rock me into a car, and the next thing I know, look, man, I'm in leg irons, handcuffs, strip search. I mean, it was not without comedy. I mean, at one point, the FBI agents couldn't find the door to go into where I was supposed to go. The fingerprint machine didn't work. But, but it, you know, right. people do not want to sit in solitary confinement in leg irons, denied food, denied water, denied an attorney. And yet this is what we live in. I mean, I studied Kafka in college. It took me like till I was 72 to understand Kafka. We, you can't arrest people for political reasons. It's very simple. We've invited every member of that committee on this show. All of them are too cowardly. Kinzinger, Cheney, cowards. But I, yes. I just think this is a, a huge yes. change in the way this country operates, and I, I wanted to note that and extend our sympathy to you. Peter Navarro, thank you, and Godspeed. <laughs> thank you for your coverage, sir. So, Christina, there, you know, we, want, we wanted to let our listenership hear about, like, the whole story if in, in case they missed Tucker last night, or just in general, because this is stuff that's happening to law-abiding American citizens who served in the Trump administration as a form of, you know, uh, intimidation tactics and stuff like that. And that's based off of his account of the situation. That that sounds like it all it was. But there was a couple things in there legally that I wanted to – I'm glad we have mm-hmm. you with us today to unpack for our listenership. The first one, he talks about that um, – that privilege he has and how he's in a rock and a hard space because it's Donald Trump's, uh, you know, right. right to either say, okay, I'm going to lift it and you could say whatever you want. Or, you know what, that privilege is something that's afforded to all presidents. And in regards to this situation, we're going to keep whatever happened between ourselves. Legally, what does that mean? So every president has what's called executive privilege. And that means when they are working with their closest advisors, attorneys or not, and they're trying to come up with a decision or figure out the best way forward, those conversations are all privileged because you want to be able to test the bounds of everything. And 
you know, there may be ideas that thrown out in the course of discussion that one of the advisors says, Hey, that's not legal, or we can't do it because of X, Y, Z. And you want all of that privilege because you only want the president judged on the actions actually taken because you have to, you know, test the, the bounds and confines of all available options to come up with the best decision in theory. And so that the president's decision-making process is all covered under executive privilege of which Peter Navarro was one of his closest advisors and certainly falls within that executive privilege. And Donald Trump has said he falls within that executive privilege. So when the committee is seeking information from him about conversations he had with the president surrounding January 6th, which I'm sure there are none, but Peter has to say it's subject to executive privilege. I can't waive that because it's, it's the president's privilege. And so uh, that's, that's what it's getting at. They don't have the right to any of that information. I mean, imagine if we could go back and, you know, dig up everything Obama did or Bush did or the other Bush did, you know, like what has been done uh, by prior presidents is generally considered to be in the past unless the actual actions themselves are somehow deemed unlawful. Yeah, it, it, it's one of those things where, like, he literally is between a rock and a hard space. And you want to get uh, access to uh, Biden's uh, decision-making process? Right. Well, I mean, technically, the FBI has had some of that stuff for, for since well, 2019, I, and, and we still don't know any of the uh Yeah, the they're hiding it, but right. no one makes a great point. Like, if they want to go down this road and open this door, like, okay, we're going after Biden, and we're, we know we're going to find a circus. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. Yeah, well, let's get the uh, the transcript of that. It's like... I want to go get ice cream. Yeah, but we're talking about the terrorists right now. Okay, so chocolate chip? Right. Chalky, chalky chip. Chalky, chalky chip. Now, Christina, the the last thing I wanted to cover from that, you know, description from from Dr. Navarro on Tucker was uh, a lot of people don't understand this. They they don't know what the ultimate goal of the January 6th committee, believe me, for everybody out there, if you think the ultimate goal of the January 6th committee is to put a couple Proud Boys in jail for a few years, like, mm. you, you need to have your head examined. Yeah. It's becoming more apparent. It's the ability to run for re-election in 2024, and mm. and how can they legally tie the January 6th committee? How can they make a verdict that goes, I guess, on to the next level that would prevent Donald Trump from maybe running for public office? Yeah, it's a big torpedo campaign. Campaign. That's all yeah, it is. Yeah, it is. They are absolutely grasping at straws. They have no evidence of anything that links Donald Trump to January 6th. And there's not going to be any logical way that they're going to be able to tie anybody from the Trump campaign, let alone Trump himself, to anything that happened on January 6th. But that's what they're trying to do because they are terrified of Donald Trump because Donald Trump wrecks their agenda and he returns the power of government back to the American people, which is where it's supposed to be. And they're terrified of that because most of them have been committing crimes for decades, for as long as they've been in office, because they've been siphoning the wealth of the American people and selling it to our adversaries for their own personal gain. Mm -hmm. So they're they're in trouble. Like they're screwed. And like, you look at some of these state and local leaders that have been helping to rig elections and they thought they'd never get caught because like, oh, I'm just a small local little guy or little girl. Well, you know, you're now under the microscope and the best thing you can do is hope those elections stay rigged for a long time. <laughs> because as soon as, as soon as we get, you know, a, a leaders in office that are actually willing to take a look at not just the election crimes, but all of the crimes that have been committed, particularly by the FBI. I mean, there's a lot of people looking at a lot of trouble. Yeah. Apparently Noah's dog is in a, <laughs> 
He just moaned. Yeah, big time. Is he not doing okay, Noah? No, No, he just kind of did like a sleeping moan, but it came on the heels of what you said about about the FBI. Apparently, Noah's dog (laughs) isn't a big appreciator of it either. So, Christina, you know what's crazy? These hours that you come on, they go by so fast. And listen, we just want to party with you going back to- I know. uh, I want to, too. It's coming soon. So I'll um, see you at a Carrie Lake event, I'm sure. I feel it, right? There's got to be something going on between now and August, and uh, if it does, we'll we'll be sure to – we'll ask around Friday, and then we'll make sure we're out there. So, uh, But but moving forward, we want everybody able to continue to track you and follow all the great work that you're doing on social medias and stuff like that. So anywhere that you want to leave for our listenership today? Sure. Uh, Christina underscore Bob on Instagram and Twitter, and then Truth Social and Getter, the new real social media accounts. Just my name, Christina Bob. This is our favorite attorney who's working to uh, literally and metaphorically save America. Miss Christina Bob, thanks for coming back on Steak for Breakfast. Thank you, guys. All right, coming back on the show today, he is running for Congress in Michigan 3. He's been endorsed by President Trump, worked in the former administration with uh, Dr. Ben Carson, one of our favorite America First candidates. John Gibbs, thanks for coming back on Steak for Breakfast. Thanks for having me, guys. Really appreciate it. It's great to be on. How's everything going with you, sir? How's the campaign trail been treating you? We did extensive covered and played a clip from you of the uh, Michigan rally that happened not too long ago. But why don't you give our listenership an update on what's going on? Yeah, it's going great. Uh, we're uh, doing better every week, doing better every month. We're getting out there in the community, knocking doors every weekend, uh, doing lots of events every weekday, uh, getting tons of yard signs out there, getting name ID up and advertising and the whole shebang there. So we're seeing some really good results out there. People are really happy to make a change. Uh, Peter Meyer, uh, my primary opponent who voted to impeach Trump as his very first vote as a congressman, uh, really backstabbed and kicked in the teeth everybody in the district and people really feel it. So I get hugs, I get high fives, I get everything when I talk to people around the district. It's pretty exciting. So uh, the polling numbers are great for us. According to one poll, we're ahead by 19 points against Meyer. Awesome. Um, And I did not not pay for that poll, so it was done by a third-party group. Uh, So I think things are good as long as we keep getting my name out there. Now, John, let's focus on the primary. In addition to voting for impeachment, you know, uh, Pima here has, has not been a very America first House representative, to say the least. What are some of the big defining things that are separating you and him on the campaign trail when you're out stumping and, and really talking to the constituents of Michigan 3 right now? Uh, one big area is election integrity. Uh, most of us know that there was uh, some monkey business in the 2020 election, and you look at the numbers, they don't end up. So uh, all Americans, even uh, Democrats, believe we need to do more to secure our election process. But uh, Meyer has been very slow to uh, make any progress in that area or stand up or be a leader on it or even comment on it. So that's the biggest area where uh, there's really quite a separation there. Um, also, you look at uh, this thing called the Fairness for All Act, which basically um, require churches to turn over their sermons and their computers mm. to make sure there's no anti-LGBT type discrimination in there, which is quite an extreme step. Wow. Um, so he not only supported that legislation, he co-sponsored it. Uh, so that's quite an extreme position. And we all support live and let live. We believe in equal rights, though. We don't believe in extra rights. And so um, that went way too far when he uh, sponsored that. And as well as uh, the January 6th commission, which basically is a political witch hunt uh, against enemies of those in charge. He fully supported that. So um, that's just a few of the areas. Uh, Oh, and I didn't mention the biggest one, by the way, is this omnibus bill uh, back in March that Biden passed, which is just disastrous, monstrous, irresponsible spending that's leading directly to all the inflation we're seeing right now. Uh, Meyer was one of only a small handful of Republicans who voted yes on that, um, which is causing catastrophic damage at the gas pump. We went over $5 a gallon here in West Michigan, $5 a gallon. That's more than twice as much as the day that Trump left office. Mm. Um, it's a disaster. It's hitting working class people and everybody um, uh, really hard. So uh, by voting for that omnibus spending bill, 
uh, Meyer shares the responsibility for that pain that everyone's feeling. Yeah, I'm going to touch on a couple of those things with you right now because those are some glaring differences between you and him both running the Republican ticket right now in Michigan 3. Uh, the first one is the economy. There are a lot of hardworking, blue-collar, middle-class families in, in, in Michigan. And, you know, this what's going on right now at the gas pump, at the grocery stores, uh, in regards to heating and cooling your homes, it just has to be absolutely destroying them. And, and the only way that we're going to be able to rein in this agenda and, and stop all the legislation that the, the Biden administration is proposing right now is getting candidates like yourself in there uh, in the fall after the primary and uh, go and represent Michigan 3 in the midterm elections. How are the people really hurting out there? Uh, the first thing, as I mentioned, is gas prices. It's destroying people. It's uh, I, I talked to a group of black pastors, and they said that number one thing they hear from their congregants is that if you have a job that involves driving, they can't do the job anymore because gas is simply too expensive for them to drive around to do deliveries or whatever their job might be. So uh, that's the number one thing we're hearing is uh, is gas. The second is uh, prices at grocery stores. You know, you see things like chicken, pork chops, uh, various other things just going up in price. And as we know, even if something doesn't go up in price, they're reducing the size of the packaging. Yep. So you get a lot less for the same price. So um, we see a lot of uh, people talking about that. And then I talk to a lot of business owners as I go around in my district, and they're having just a hard time finding workers, period, um, let alone quality workers, because with all the benefits we have right now, the person is making something like $17 an hour uh, just by staying home. And so if you're paying $19 an hour, that's not enough of a difference for them to you know go out and actually do the job Sure, because it's not much more than what they're making by doing nothing. So it is really, really hard for the businesses to find good employees these days. So those are just a few of the top issues I hear on the economic front. Yeah, I think those are some of the things that most resonate with the voters as well. I, I, I can tell you a personal experience. I went to the grocery store yesterday just to pick up a few items for the week for my family. One 18-pack of eggs was almost nine dollars. Jeez, it was like four dollars wow. and change uh, at the end of the Trump administration. It was like, and and you want to know what's weird? The supply and the demand thing. At the grocery store I went to, they only had this one packaging. It was the shelves were full of it, but it was only you could only buy eighteen eggs for for it was like. 857 plus tax and i was like man this is just you know i went home and told my wife and i had like four grocery bags and she's like how much did you spend and i said well i got a couple cases of water and some powery for the kids in the car 200 bucks and she's like where's the rest of the groceries i was like this is it man the raw nationalist would be going broke right now he certainly would um good thing he lives in uh, europe but uh john the other thing i wanted to touch on i think it's huge it's about to get ready to be rolling this week it's going to be the primetime event now known as the january 6th committee uh an abc uh, former senior producer produced uh, event that's going to highlight only the things that the Democrat Party want you to think are bad, and we're not going to see any of the real receipts from like Nancy Pelosi, Bowser, the uh, chief of the Capitol Police, or anything like that, the sergeant of arms, and they're going to really try and skew this narrative. We did a really good segment just before you jumped on today with Christina Bob uh, that highlighted a lot of this stuff, and she had, obviously, as a, as a lawyer herself, a lot of input to put in, but but how is this grandstanding helping anything in the country right now, and, and how is your voter base right there in Michigan not really going to feed into this come time for midterm elections this stuff is seriously damaging to our government and to the trust that people have in our institutions um things like these committees are supposed to be used for serious issues where someone has really done something wrong but uh, almost all americans can plainly see that this is just political theater it's nothing but political theater they're weaponizing this whole system to go after their political opponents that's all they're doing um and it's it's a witch hunt uh, there's no basis to what they're doing they're going after people in the Trump administration who literally were not even there on that day, uh, did not do anything wrong. Um, so it is just uh, uh, totally absurd. And I think that most responsible adults will do the right thing and tune out. 
Um, so I think that a lot of people won't even be paying attention. But uh, those that are will realize uh, for the farce it is. And, you know, I think those on the left who are using this for uh, political ammunition, they'll, you know, be cutting the clips from it and throwing it out there to use in their campaigns uh, in November. And that's also what this is about is the elections. They're doing this very strategically at a time such as this so they can use it for the upcoming election. So it's just a total insult to the process. Um, they're, they're fulfilling the founding fathers' worst nightmares yes. of weaponizing the security states against innocent Americans, which is why the founding fathers wanted to have serious checks and balances on the uh, security state so that this couldn't happen. But they're really helping to uh, make these uh, nightmares come true of uh, the government just turning against its political opponents based on the whims of uh, the current politicians. So this is very bad news for democracy. It's going to reduce people's trust even further in our institutions. And uh, they've got to stop it. Uh, so it's, it's bad stuff. Yeah, it certainly is. And, and we hope after the midterm elections, you can get up into the Beltway and, and really not only provide some oversight on what went into the planning of this stuff, but to make sure moving forward, stuff like this doesn't ever happen again after we saw, you know, even most recently, we saw what happened with poor Dr. Peter Navarro on Friday, where he was just completely embarrassed. And and basically, it, it's like the old, you know, you talk about the constitutional days and the founding fathers, it's like those days when they accuse somebody of something, they would handcuff them, they would ankle shackle, and they would run them through the town so everybody could make fun of them. That's essentially what happened to him at the airport uh, as he was getting ready to leave Washington, D.C. last week and head to Tennessee to uh, go do a show with Mike Huckabee. Yeah, the only thing they were short was people, like, throwing vegetables at him. Well, he, you know, we can confirm that because he says he was denied both food and water when he was detained. Oh, yeah. So, oh, wow. Yeah. So, uh, well, John, moving forward, you know, what's up on the campaign trail for you? Uh, is there going to be any forums? Is there going to be any more debates or anything like that? Do you have any uh, events planned in, in the district heading up into the primary? Yeah, you know, we are eager to debate uh, my primary opponent, Peter Meyer. We're working on a date for that debate right now. So uh, that is in the process of being planned. So we look forward to that uh, coming to fruition. Uh, we are out um, uh, multiple times a week. Every Saturday, we're knocking doors at different places in our district. Uh, we are going to hit everywhere in the district. Uh, we're over halfway through. We're going to keep going uh, to get to meet all the communities in the district. So we're charging forward on that. Um, and we're, like I said, all over the place um, uh, every day of the week. So we're having a lot of momentum out there and a lot of traction. Um, and uh, we'll be setting up town halls as well uh, in the coming weeks. I don't have the schedule for that yet, but my team is working today, as a matter of fact, on setting those up. So uh, we're getting lots of contact, lots of engagements. Uh, we were at an event with my, my uh, primary opponent last week, and it was quite interesting. I think we had a good reception. Uh, he had a really rough night there. Um, I was almost ready to call for the mercy rule, but <laughs> then I wasn't um, as he was, uh, you know, really getting hammered by the crowd there. So, um, we're seeing a lot of positive reaction as we get out and we're being more aggressive in our schedule. Our primary is August 2nd, but the, uh, mail-in ballots start going out on June 20th or so. And so we want to be reaching as many people as possible, uh, uh, before they start filling out their absentee ballots and sending them in. We're seeing very positive response on door knocking out there. Almost everybody, um, is either for us or undecided, but the undecided ones lean towards me, almost all of them. Uh, once I tell them about me, if they hadn't heard. So, um, we're doing the stuff almost every day, um, here on out. And it's been a very, very good reaction. Yeah. You know, it's funny, John, we've, we've had hundreds of, of guests on this show, dozens and dozens of America first candidates. And it's some of the things that always our listenership circles back to, I get 
direct messages on social media was that time you came on, you told us about like your whole backstory, how you traveled the world, all the different languages you speak. And, and, and I tell you what, guests have come on this show. And whenever we bring up your name, they talk about the Trump tweets that you used to bring out and bring to, <laughs> to staff meetings when you work at the Department of HUD. It's like something that just stuck with them. And, and listen, you're, you're an amazing guy. You've got a huge heart. You're, you're in it for the right reasons, but you're super based too. And, and we need people like that yeah. in Washington, D.C. that could go and actually hold the line and do all the things they're supposed to do responsibly. But at the end of the day, if, if they need to bring a, a Trump truth to the House of Representatives next year, we have no doubt that you'll be printing them out and bringing them there as well. So we want to direct our listenership to uh, follow you everywhere across social media, track your upcoming events, and, and support your campaign. So if you give us your social medias and uh, campaign website. Yep. Uh, campaign website is votejohngibbs.com. Votejohngibbs.com. You can check out everything there. That does link to my socials. You can find me on Twitter at votejohngibbs as well. Um, so, uh, but, uh, if you go to my website, votejohngibbs.com, you can link to everything, Facebook, Getter, Twitter, Instagram, et cetera. Uh, we're active on all those. So go ahead and check it out. People can also, um, uh, give a contribution if they wanted to. We're up against a billionaire. His money is not going to save him this time, no. but we do need enough to get my name out there. So that's going to be good. Uh, people can volunteer to door knock, phone bank, et cetera. We're going to add a prayer option there. So people can sign up to, uh, pray for me, which I definitely need as well. So. Uh, yeah, check out the website, votejohngibbs.com, and you can find everything from there. Yeah, we'll definitely be live linking those in the show description today. And I'll be honest with you, John, for as popular as you become with our listenership, after the uh, August 2nd primaries and you guys get all settled, before you get into real gear for the uh, general elections in November, we're going to have to circle back with you again. Absolutely. We'd love to come on. That'd be, that'd be superb. And we love hosting you. This is the America First Trump-endorsed candidate who's running to uh, make Michigan 3 great again. Mr. John Gibbs, thanks for coming on Steak for Breakfast again today. Thanks for having me on, guys. It was a lot of fun. Appreciate it. Take care. All right, joining us next on the show today, he's one of our favorite constitutional attorneys. He's got a uh, very big voice, and you're about to hear it for the first time on Steak for Breakfast. Mike Yoder, thanks for coming down with us today. Thanks for having me on. Sir, it's our pleasure. How's everything going with you? Busy. Uh, when there's tyranny and very few lawyers, it's uh, quite uh, full of joy, let's put it that way, in terms of the legal world. Mm, sounds about right. That sounds like something I'd say at work. Like, how's your night going? Well, living the dream. <laughs> yeah, I mean, every ounce of sarcasm. I mean, that, yes. that statement should have been dripping. Yeah. So, Mike, what you're trying to say is we're not building back better? <laughs> Only the Taliban. Ooh, got him. But they, oh. want, they want to come off our guns. You know, we, we tabbed something in the show today. It's, it's the Democrats' plan for the midterm elections in addition to January 6th. That's always in parentheses and underneath everything because as soon as they start losing the narrative, they throw that back in our faces. But it's the three Gs of the midterm elections for the Democrat Party. It's grab your guns, grooming, and Green New Deal. Um, I'm sure those are three things that uh, make you feel really proud to be an American. What do you got to say about the Democrats' midterm platform? I guess you could add gays to the list, too, since they're all of a sudden championing every single, you know, put those pride flags in your Twitter logos. <laughs> uh, otherwise, you might lose out on some revenue. But on July 1st, I guarantee you it doesn't even make it past 12.01 a.m. before they switch. So the four G's, I guess. Yeah. But uh, yeah, it's not even America anymore. That's the problem. Oh, we got to find another G so it could be 5G. Well, there you go. Well, by that time, we're probably all dead. Yeah. So I'm gonna... <laughs> Mike, you're out there stumping hard against tyranny coming from every which angle. Uh, you, you did make it in your opening right there saying there's just not enough attorneys, uh, constitutional lawyers out there, you know, fighting the good fights. What's the deal with that? And, and, and what are you doing right now to push back hard? Well, I think that it's a combination of a few variables. One, I think that everyone has seen how COVID has exp 
has really impacted everyone's mind in the sense of whether you don't believe it, you're scared of it, whether it's changed the way you think, whether it's the way that you see things, all the way from students in elementary school or even younger, possibly through the Supreme Court justices. Um, I think one of the biggest things that we're facing in terms of lack of representation is the fact that many attorneys are not litigators as a, as a first level, most lawyers never see a courtroom. Right. I think it's like 15% out of a hundred, you know, 15% of lawyers ever see a courtroom. Secondly, of those 15%, that's spread across an array of everything from personal injury litigation to business litigation, to real estate, to criminal defense or prosecution. I mean, there's very few people that specialize in the constitution. Secondly, on top of that, of the people that specialize in the constitution, I think it's pretty clear which side of the aisle you have to be on to be wanting to file these lawsuits. So then you take that group of people and then you, that's just the legal angle. So then think of all the variables, like what about your job? If you work for a big firm, you don't want to take cases that could get you fired. What about restrictions on income? If you're not able to afford to get your bills paid? I mean, it's a very, very, very restrictive arena. And then those that want to fight may just not have the acumen to understand the law. So um, right now, it's about 17 total lawyers uh, across the country that is, are fighting the entire administration. Wow. And uh, so far, we're kicking their ass. Wow. Yeah, you guys sure are. I mean, when you look at the, you know, it, it's it's pretty funny, Mike. You're a younger guy. Noah and I are a little bit older than you. Antoinette's like right in the middle. But you're out there like literally on, on at ground zero fighting the good fight for us. You know, we, we come out here and we commentate on it and we do political analysis and stuff like that. We have the America First candidates in there. But you, it just can't say enough for the amount of people or lack thereof that are out there really working hard on behalf of the American people for some of the constitutional things that are being violated that may not, they might not even be aware of. Medical tyranny is only like one part of it. I think for the past couple of decades, we've seen Republicans stump on like the rise of socialism and, and, and uh, you know, radical, liberal, progressive uh, agenda and stuff like that. But we're actually seeing what it looks like for the first time. Like, you know, we got kind of like tastes of it, like sprinklings during the Obama administration. But now we're seeing it on full display for everyone to see. And uh, it's got to be one hell of a battle waking up every morning and, and, and getting out there and fighting the good fight. I mean, I've been doing this since effectively nine minutes after Biden tweeted he was going to pass a mandate. And I tweeted that this lawsuit is going to be about freedom. I don't care what your mandate is. Mm -hmm. I told him I was going to sue the, sue the shit out of him. And I did. And it took about two weeks before I filed the first lawsuit. About a month later, I filed the second lawsuit. That lawsuit is still going. I survived the motion to dismiss for the military I've sued on behalf of federal contractors, federal workers, private sector employees, every single branch of our United States military. I've sued over medical exemptions, religious exemptions. I sued over natural immunity. Um, and, and that's just on the federal level. I, I've been involved in other litigation that's unrelated to COVID. But, you know, at the end of the day, the reason I'm so passionate about this fight is because, like you said, I'm young. I mean, I, I passed the bar at 24 years old and six days later sued wow. the District of Columbia for $30 million. <laughs> uh, and I, I won, by the way. Um, nice. But the, the point being is that I was adopted at two days old, grew up in a very low income family, rural central Pennsylvania. I uh, had next to nothing, uh, you know, financially or, or in terms of opportunity, as they like to phrase it. And I was able to become an attorney and fight back and defend my rights and my freedom as well as millions of others. And the only reason I was able to do that is because of our constitution. So I'm passionate about this fight because it's not only the framework that's laid the way for me to have a life and a livelihood and a purpose, but it's also 
what hundreds of thousands, if not millions have died for fighting over the last 200 years. And those lives aren't in vain. And I don't want my children to grow up in a communist country. So I'm going to fight like hell and there's nothing that's going to stop me in the process. I like it. Yeah, I like it too for a lot of our mm-hmm. listenership who's getting to know Mike for the first time and maybe might only follow him on social media, you know, and, and see a tweet here or there, an Instagram story. This is kind of painting a, a broader stroke of, of everything that he's all about. You know, obviously we do our research before we have guests on the show and we know more of his backstory, but it's just, it's one of those things when, listen, there's so many people out fighting the good fight right now uh, that you might not know about. I mean, a lot of people know about Mike and all his doings, but, you know, it, 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 it's one of those things where you see it coming in passing in social media and you can't take uh, into account how much of actual work goes into it and, and what they're literally... Listen, suing the federal government is no joke. <laughs> yeah. And, and if you don't think while you're suing them, they're going to try and ruin every aspect of your life in turn and, and try to make it look like they're not the ones doing it. I'm sure, Mike, you could tell some pretty good uh, stories about how you've been... Uh, They've attempted to intimidate you over the course of all this. You get a lot of parking tickets. <laughs> I mean, I've had my car tires slashed. I've had my car keyed. I've had people break into my apartment. I've had to move three to- four times. Um, I constantly have to check in with uh, security whenever I depart somewhere or arrive somewhere. I talk to them daily. They have trackers in my phone, so they know where I'm at at all times. I have four laptops, three computers, two Wi-Fi servers, three cell phones. Um, I had my car bugged. I've had my apartment wired. Um, wow. Yeah. Wow. I mean, I've, and that's, you know, that's the stuff that I'm willing to share publicly. There's been more than that, but wow. um, yeah, there's, you know, the, the stories of, Oh, they just let you walk the narrow line. No. I mean, <laughs> I think at this point it's, it's almost um, laughable is not the right word, but I think it's very ignorant to believe that they try to allow someone put up a fair fight. I mean, you've seen what they've done to James O'Keefe with Project Veritas, with the FBI raiding his home. You just saw Peter Navarro. You just saw, you know, what's happened with Stone. You saw what's happened with Manafort. You know, it comes down the line. Um, It's scary, but... You know, if if you're not willing to fight for this, what are you willing to fight for? That's the best point you could make right there, Mike. And it's like, you know, you, you mentioned a lot of those heroes and patriots that have been, you know, ensnared in all of this intimidation stuff like General Flynn, Roger Stone, Peter Navarro most recently. And, uh, you know, this is going all the way up to the top. We're, about, we're, we're getting ready to see the January 6th primetime edition this Thursday, uh, where, where the end game for this is is nothing less than getting Donald Trump convicted so he's not able to run for public office again, more notably president in 2024. Uh, that all seems to be, you know, falling in part of the plan. In consequence with that, you also have the uh, – rise of the nationalist populist movement probably started really reinvigorated back around 2010 with the tea party kind of evolved into like the MAGA movement. And now it's kind of reshaping again. I see a lot of like minor infighting, but it's like MAGA versus MAGA versus like establishment Republicans. And they're trying to figure out what like the middle ground is right now. But you know, when it, when it comes down to those people who are, who are been subjected to yourself. And then, like you said, James O'Keefe and, and then the end game, obviously right now for the, this sitting administration is Donald Trump and, and to prevent him from running again. How, do, how does that, you know, look in, in, in your view when you see like we're heading headfirst into the midterm elections right now and we have a lot of these so-called America First candidates out there running and, and some of them are going to make a difference, but there's other ones that are just an absolute joke. I mean, I think that people need to stay in their lane and realize that politics is not like any other industry. It's not like marketing or real estate or construction or contracting or cybersecurity or whatever it may be. It's, our lives 
and the capital that's at stake is not currency, but people. Yep. And when you have people running for political office because they want to grandstand or use tragedy for political gain and capitalize to make a name for themselves because they just have this voracious appetite for fame and power. Those are the type of people you don't want in office. People like Sam Brown, who is a very, very, very good friend of mine. One of the most noble, honorable people I know, he was a veteran that got blown up in Afghanistan, spent three years in the burn unit, is running for U.S. Senate in Nevada. I've been working on his campaign. And I tell you what, there's not another person in this country I would rather have represent me. But he's far and few between as a person. A lot of these people have no clue how Washington works. They've never been in politics. They think that because they have some sort of social media following, they can run for office. And all that does is dilute donor dollars, dilutes votes, and it just windles down to us getting beat because you don't back one candidate. It's all about me. It's not about overall what's best for the country and the parties to blame too. I mean, the parties, both Democrat and Republican, I'm not saying every member of both of those parties, but it's like you're, you you go to a dog fight and you make money off admission tickets, except the problem is you own both dogs. Do you care who wins? That's what it's like in real, in reality. I mean, you see McConnell, you see, you know, everything from top down, McCarthy all the way through, you see them hedging bets. You see exactly what's going on. I mean, the colors are showing from both sides of the aisle and this America first agenda. You know, I have a problem with the fact that there's an America first onslaught. I mean, if you're running for United States Congress, how the hell can you run for United States Congress and not be America first? It seems quite counterintuitive if you ask me, but People need to start paying attention not only to federal elections, but your local elections, because those are the ones that matter. You think that would have happened in Georgia if you didn't pay attention to your secretary of state election? No. Do you think that you would have these issues in Maricopa County if you weren't looking at county commissioners? No. You think that we'd have these problems in Loudoun County, Virginia, if you paid attention to who was on your school board? No. The people that are most closely knit to your circle are the ones that impact your life the most, and people completely forego that, and they get all their information from social media, and that's a massive, massive problem. Yeah, it certainly is. And, uh, you know, it's a lot of these candidates who are running right now who run on like a familiar face or like you said, social media presence platform. And and some of them we just haven't been able to tie our wagons to because they might go against like, let's just say the America first or the Trump world narrative. But when we have both guests running on one ticket on the show and then you hear one and then they like literally go down like the 2016 Trump presidential campaign, like check mark, check mark, check mark, check mark. And then you have like another one on who might not be endorsed or, or didn't get endorsed by Trump in the same race. And then you start to hear them talk about like, I created jobs. I understand what's going on at my school board. I know what's going on with the County supervisors. Like I've lived in this district for five, six, seven, ten generations. And it's just like, you know what? The person who actually, grew up there and made that district, well, I'm going to say it clichedly, great again, mm-hmm. is actually the candidate that is more America first than the person who's saying they're running on America first platform. So we've got that. We've called it, and, and we've seen it in a lot of different cases this year. And, you know, it's, it's just one of those things where you have to take into account that uh, there's too much at risk right now. Like, you can't see tyranny on display more. It's hitting you everywhere from the wallet to the gas pump to the kids, both in school education and with their genders. You have, you know, foreign policy that's been a complete disaster, a southern border that's completely destroyed. And then all the stuff going on with that uh, violates our medical freedom. And it's people like you out there fighting the good fight. It's really been glad to sit down and uh, have a conversation with you today. And I think, well, at the very least, we're going to have to have you back because it seems like you've got a lot to talk about and we'd like to talk about it with you on Steak for Breakfast. I got one question. Get it. So, Along the lines of the Constitution and all that stuff that you are uh, specializing in. So there's been all this talk of the WF, WHO, 
and NATO countries being taken control of in the event of another quote unquote pandemic. Mm, my favorite pandemic. What, what do you what do you feel about that kind of scenario? Well, if we're following the law, it's a joke. Mm-hmm. But as you've seen for the last, I don't know, two years, a little over, uh, the law doesn't really carry much weight when tyrants are the ones that are enforcing it or the ones that are actually violating it. Yeah. But from a legal standpoint, in, in a world where our justice system is still intact, you have the treaty clause, which requires advice and consent of the Senate. You have to get Senate confirmation for a treaty to be formed as international, which requires a two-third vote. Now, looking at the split right now, you have 50-50. There's no way that they're going to get enough Republicans to flip to ratify that treaty. But even assuming they were to ratify the treaty with the WHO, the act of June 14, 1948 specifically states that despite joining the WHO, anything that's stated in the Constitution of the WHO or anything that's passed legislation-wise, and I use that term quasi effective in terms of it's not really legislation, but it's sort of just policy, does not have effect domestically within the United States unless Congress actually adopts a law implementing the WHO's policy. Mm -hmm. So not only do you have to get a two-thirds Senate majority vote in order to confirm any treaty for that to be an actual valid treaty, um, but you also would have to have Congress pass a law that would enable uh, the the effectuation of such policies to take effect in the United States, which if you think about mass mandates, now you know why they're trying to uh, trying to uh, yield power to the CDC yep. over mass because of the future pandemic. Well, I don't know. We have a WHO, we have the NIH, we have the CDC. I mean, Elon Musk is sending rockets to space and having them land. You, you don't think you can predict a pandemic unless yeah. it's man-made? Like, like if you can tell it's going to rain, you don't have as much warning, right? I mean, you can see a hurricane coming. How the hell can you not know a pandemic's coming? It's not like it just like drops out of a plane and everyone gets infected. Yeah. Unless it drops out of a plane and everyone gets infected or something of the sort. Sounds so, so weird. Yeah, so weird and wild. Uh, just imagine that. I think, uh, well, I think they played their hand with, listen, how many times did they go around the beginning and talk about once in a hundred year pandemic? Yeah. It's like, you, you, you can't put that toothpaste back in the tube. Uh, well, I made a snarky forward. post the other day because I was, you know, something was going wrong with my phone. I updated my software and it was like the new software patch for Apple is going to allow for facial recognition while you're wearing a mask. And I'm like, well, it's definitely not over. It's de- I'm definitely turning that off. Yeah. Mike, we want to direct our listenership to be able to follow you across social media's website. Anything you got for us today, we'll live link it in the show description. We're also going to link Brown Senate campaign website in our uh, show description today. And uh, since you're working on the campaign at some point in the future, we'd love to have him join us on Steak for Breakfast. Yeah, he's uh, he's got his campaign uh, primary is June 14th. Yep. But Sam's information is CaptainSamBrown.com. And all his handles across the board are just Captain Sam Brown. Pretty easy to find. We had to use the captain name because good luck trying to find a Sam Brown on the internet. Right. Uh, um, and for me, uh, you on Instagram, but that's my biggest platform. You have to type out the entire handle Just because like yep. I'm incognito mode involuntarily. Yep. Um, but it's Yoder, Y-O-D-E-R underscore E-S-Q. Um, my backup account has two Qs. So that's the one that's going to pop up first. But you can obviously tell if there's not over 100,000 followers, that's not the real one. So, um, and website is yoderesq.com. And then also I'm going to be launching a a website in the coming days for the 1789 foundation, which 
is a nonprofit that I've started. So I can start bringing more lawyers on board to start getting more representation for people. And essentially it's going to be a counterbalance to the ACLU that actually does fight for our civil liberties and for our civil rights. I want to not only litigate, but I want to educate, make it tax deductible, have resources out there to push information in the media and the news. And instead of telling a story, use the law to support it in a layman's terms context. So people have the ability to not only know what's going on, but to have the legal argument and the support to back it up. So that's a whole new movement I'm going to be uh, trying to push out in the coming days. But it's a fight, and someone's got to do it. And you're out there at the forefront doing it, Mike. And, yeah, we uh, appreciate everything you're doing. I really appreciate everything you're doing. And uh, we're going to live link that in the show description today, all the stuff you've got going on. We're going to continue to track and share all the good works you're doing on our social medias, even though True Social is the only one anybody's going to see it on. And we'll be looking forward to having you back at some point in the near future. Well, hey, guys, I appreciate it. I'm not going to stop fighting unless God calls me home or Hillary Clinton finds me. Got them. Both are are very not out of the range of of possibility of happening. So I'm allergic to thermite as well. There you go. Keep Mike in your prayers. Constitutional lawyer, Mike Yoder, thanks for joining us on Steak for Breakfast. Thanks, guys. All right, jumping in next with us today, you may know her as uh, more of a model. She's out there in the uh, representing the fashion industry in some sense, but she's become... Over the past couple of years, quite a large influencer. We are a huge fan of her on Steak for Breakfast, and she's joining us for the first time to do a little bit of the news. Jasmine Ivy, thanks for coming down on Steak for Breakfast today. Hi, guys. Thanks for having me. Well, it's our pleasure. How's everything going on your end? You're living in uh, where now? New York? Oh, communist city now. Ooh. It's, it's getting very dangerous for a conservative out here. Um, Governor, I don't know how you pronounce her name, Koshal? Yeah. She made an announcement yesterday where... Uh, they're requiring social media platforms to start tracking, recording, and reporting accounts that they feel are being, quote-unquote, hateful. Mm. This is going to be in the state of New York. It was just announced yesterday. So this poses a big threat and a problem for me because, I'm, as you guys know, I'm very vocal. And, you know, sometimes the truth doesn't have to be positive. You know, we speak on a lot of malice that's going on in the country and, for a corrupt Democrat slash fact checkers that could be taken in, you know, in a hateful way. And then they'll just find whatever they can to shadow ban you or possibly, I don't know how far the extent of how power hungry they'll get. Yeah. It's just another umbrella term to just let them silence dissenters basically. Sure. And it's what they deem they deem is hateful or whatever kind of speech anyways, you know, it's, it's, it's a trend that we're starting to see more commonly and they're being a lot more overt and uh, out front about it. And it's, it's, it's extremely disturbing. I do want to make a note for our listenership. I think Jasmine's probably one of the only people we'll ever have on this show. Who's lost more Twitter and Instagrams than we have. Oh I lost track already. How many I lost? You've lost quite a few. And uh, you know, it's, it's, it's gotta be a real pain in the ass. We know for, for sure on our end, it always has been, especially trying to, uh, you know, market the show the best way we know how. And, uh, when you do some kind of the same work, I can only imagine that it's been uh, quite a big headache. It's been tough, you know, because in the beginning, before I became political, I was always popping up on the Explore page. For some reason, social media loved me. Facebook used my images to promote Facebook back when it was, you know, just getting big. You know, I had friends that would tell me, oh, I seen a, you know, a little square picture of you or, you know, Jasmine Ivy wants to be your friend on Business Insider magazine websites. And, you know, they'll just take your information and use it for their best interest. And then as soon as we become political, 
you know, they turn against you. I went from going on the explore page, having celebrity followers. And I'm talking about like real celebrities, not influencers or Instagram people. And I just lost my pages, my content, a lot of support from the model and acting industry. Um, you know, this is why I took off all of my union affiliations just because people can be so hateful. You sure. know, they'll reach out to this union or that union or try to contact, you know, the department of licenses. And I just, it's just, it's, it's awful, you know, where you can't even speak your mind and speak your beliefs before people just start targeting your work and your, you know, your living, your living. Well, you know, it's uh, definitely factual that they will come after your livelihood. And, and we, for surely, at least on this show, I'm sure a lot of our listenership can appreciate the fact that someone with such a big voice and reach as you continues to like hold the narrative for what's really important to the people in this country. It's been a uh, quite a disaster for the last year and a half. We're going to jump into the news here. Uh, we're going to do some of uh, As the Biden World Turns with you. And uh, I've picked some great audio clips for you to listen to. You're probably going to laugh through most of them. First one I got up on deck was from... Uh, a live Twitch feed that happened this weekend. I'm pretty sure that she doesn't get shadow banned everywhere. It's one of Noah's favorite people in the Democrat Party. AOC uh, was was that was out stumping hard. So let, let's hear her trying to rationalize some of the stuff that's going on right now. I'd like to close my tab. And I'm not trying to give people some kind of like corny locker room pump up speech, but that is just simply the fact. Is that hope is an existential question it is an existential decision because what all of these powers are trying to do is to extinguish the life out of you whether you are alive or not they seek to extinguish your hope they seek to extinguish your faith they seek to extinguish your desire to fight for a better future They are doing everything they can to get you to give up. Oh, my gosh. She's talking about. And that's not just the Republican Party. This is the entire power structure of this country. Oh, okay. So she wants to tear it all down, not just. I love how she threw in Republicans at the end of that big speech. At some point, I'm like, wow, I actually agree with her for the first time. Everything she's saying, it's absolutely true. It's an attack on conservatives, an attack on religion, it's an attack on God, the family unit. I mean, we are fighting with spiritual evil demonic beings out there and that's what the leftist democrats have become and of course some rhinos no you you make a whole lot of sense there and it's one of those things where you have to take into account she's just trying to push a narrative right there to make it's pretty much like the uneducated people out there she wants the people who are casual politics followers like a drive-by headline telling you know oh i'm out here fighting for you and it's not just you know the republicans and the crazy donald trump supporters it's everyone out there and i want to be the new gold like just imagine that it sounds like some of kamala harris's speechwriters moonlight for her a little bit and some of her stump stump well, points the truth and, is in the pudding you know the truth is in the facts and the facts are that there's no other political party or a group of people that have been more targeted than conservatives and trump supporters i mean the other day i was wearing my maga hat around new york city with no fear, of course. I live in the theater district. And I had this girl, she's like, aren't you worried that somebody will attack you or do something to you? And I'm just like, imagine if I lived in fear where I can't even leave my house and wear a hat that, you know, and and I live in a gay neighborhood. This is Hell's Kitchen. So this is very, you know, Biden-Harris. But, you know, I, I like that it will at least bring up conversation. 
and hopefully I can change their mind on it because believe it or not, I've opened a lot of eyes to some people and they sure. say, you know, I didn't know much about this. I didn't know much about that. And, you know, I've had people message me saying that their daughters were afraid to come out as conservatives in their colleges. And, you know, their parents would show them my pages and they'd say, if she can do it, then I can do it, you know, and it's, you can change one person's thought. Um, I mean, that it, it just speaks volumes, you know? No, you're literally doing the Lord's work out there. There's so many people who I just, you know, they've got their toes to the line uh, emotionally, socially on the inside, and they just need sometimes people to, to be brave like you have been in regards to, to sharing your narrative. And, and I'll be honest with you, Jasmine, like, you, you know, your view on politics, it's not really anything radical. It's not really anything extreme. It's just from you kind of doing the work and going out there and, and, you know, examining things a little bit, doing some research and, and figuring out that there's a more logical and probably normal reason for, for some of the narratives that are out there than, than the stuff we're getting pumped in the news media every day. Right. right. Well, you know, the first step is realizing what's more important is being famous or being a successful actress or model more important than living as a free American in this country. You know what I mean? And there's people that would rather, and I get this all the time. Why do you do it? Why do you do it? This is, this is not making you money. If anything, I've lost sponsorships. Um, I lost a lot of work, but again, you have to adapt with the times. You know, I got my license in real estate while I was doing that. I was a union, I'm a union actress. Um, you know, I'm working on some, working on some projects. So I didn't want Hollywood to, define who I am because at, in any moment they could blacklist you or, you know, they can Isaac Nappy you. And, uh, and yeah. knowing me, how outspoken I am, I just don't want to put myself in that situation. And now I, I see things a lot more clear that living off grid while still, you know, defending your rights is crucial to the future of this country. And we need more people to stand up to, you know, fight against this. And when I say fight, I don't want to sound hurtful um but i'm saying we have to be on the defense you know because what's happening now and i don't want to get too religious and i don't want to go to rant but it's biblical it really is if you you read the bible if you read revelations you know it's 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 pretty sinister what's happening so i think people should get closer to god and, and and see what's really what's really important and that's protecting children above all else um because they're the most innocent you know they they don't know what's going on right now and they're being brought up in this world where it's okay to, you know, quote unquote, change your gender. It's, it's, it's what they're doing to these kids is just diabolical, sad. And like I said, you know, I'm not radical. I, I think, you know, homosexuality, if, if this person makes you happy, it's an, a consenting adult and I'm all for it. You know, I may not agree with the lifestyle, but I'm not going to be kicking down someone's door and forcing them to be straight. You know, that's, that's not for me to judge It's for God to judge. But, um, I mean, there's just so many things I can talk about, but I'll let you guys. (laughs) No, I mean, you, you make a whole lot of sense there. You, you want to just talk about it on the thread that you were there. You know, it's so funny with the, the transitioning children stuff that they, that you'll have the, the radical progressive left come out and say that like, okay, so voting should be lowered to 16, but gun ownership should be raised to 21, and then we'll shoot it all the way back to between, like, five- and six-year-olds to be able to make a decision on whether or not they can, like, mutilate their bodies and change their genders. Of course. Well, this is all part of the New World Order, and I don't want to sound like a conspiracy theorist, but, you know, we have been correct the past couple of years on what's been going on. Sure. This is a population control agenda. 
whatever they got to do to stop people from reproducing is what their this is what their main goal is is to promote homosexuality to promote transgenderism on children to promote vaccines that technically are not really vaccines they're just making women infertile men that you know women are getting longer periods or they're not able to reproduce or men's testicles swelling up. I mean, it's crazy yeah. what's going on with these things. And it's population control. They want to just lower the, the world population of people and they're doing whatever they can to do that. You know, if they, and think about it, if they, they have all these kids becoming transgender, how, how, you know what I mean? It's just, I, I don't know. It's just, it's just crazy to me. I, I don't understand. I think as an adult, you can do what you wish. I, happen to know a lot of people in the gay community. Um, I currently do have a friend that's transsexual and they know exactly how I feel about this. You know, it's, it's tough being friends with someone that's in the gay scene because they think that you're against them or that you're judging them. And I tell them, I'm like, look, whatever you do in your bedroom as an adult is your business, but just leave the kids out of it. Sure. And it, sh it shouldn't be a national pr uh, platform to promote it either. You make a whole lot of sense there. It's yeah. Like it's, I don't care what, like, do your thing, whatever makes you happy, but like, it doesn't need to be, public mm -hmm. in the exactly. school and you know teaching little kids about it like if you know if, if they get to a certain point of their life and they're curious about something they can talk to their fucking parents about it mm -hmm. that's right and they and or they can you know get to that point of self-discovery you know i was always a tomboy growing up i didn't start dressing up until i was like 18 21 years old so imagine then growing up now i I'd be so confused. I wouldn't know if I'm gay or lesbian or if I want to be a boy. I mean, I'm still kind of a little bit of a tomboy, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't change anything in my upbringing. Everything was just so much more natural no. in a way where you don't have so many things, so many narratives and agendas being shoved down your throat, you know? Yeah, yeah, I, I saw somebody post uh, exactly about that. It's like, you know, my, my daughter's a tomboy. She plays hockey. She, you know, likes yeah. to play in the mud and do this, that, and the other thing. And, you know, it's just a normal thing. Like some people are just like that. That's how they're wired, you know, but yeah. then they have people like continuously, like every, every three days or however often just like, so are you transgender or are you gay? And it's like, right. I'm just me. Like, yeah. That's the point. Like, you know, you, and why does it have to be put in the box? Like you don't right. want, you don't want boxes for anything else. Why is this a box? You, you said there was stuff you did when you were younger. That was like tomboyish and stuff, Jasmine. But at the same time, it's like, and then you said, like, you grew up and, and, you know, you came into your profession, you started dressing different and stuff like that. You know, you, you grew into a woman, you went through the progression. Right. Now you have people like when they see stuff like that, they're automatically guiding or, you know, as it's more commonly known, grooming people towards right. getting getting towards that other, you know, make, not making choices for themselves. And, and when you look at just like the historical data of all that stuff, the the going back from being forced into choices that you're not all the way understanding of. It's just, it's not a winning battle. It never has been. And it won't be. Right. That's true. And it's not, it's not even the people it's that it's kids where they're most vulnerable, easily to manipulate. You know, they have these corporations like Disney, which I regret mm -hmm. even working with them back, back in the day, this is before they went woke. Um, you know, a place where, you would think it's safe to have a child sitting there watching television unattended because, oh, they're watching Disney. This is something that's going to be fantasy-like, but innocent. You know what I mean? And now it's like you don't know what you're going to see on there. You don't know what's what's going to be on television. So I think parents need to step their game up, man. they got to stop letting the television and these corporations and governments raise their children. They need to stop being lazy. 
ask questions. What are, you know, I don't have kids. I have nephews and I'm always very overprotective. Even though they live in Florida, you know, I would have my nephew because, you know, I talk to them a lot about these issues and they'll tell me like, oh, you know, the teacher has the gay flag huge in our classroom, but I don't see the American flag or, you know, I tell them, send me over a little hidden video. I'll try to make it go viral and send it out to Project Veritas or whoever. <laughs> and, um, you know, even as young kids, you got to tell them they got to be careful, you know, what's out there. And there's a lot of predators out there that are in high, you know, ranking positions in government or in the education system that are just perverts, you know. Yeah, it used to be, to watch out for the guy in the van that's trying to offer you candy. And now it's like, you know what, just watch out for everybody. Everybody. You never can tell. We, we were talking with uh, Christina Bob earlier today. She's a, an attorney for Save America. She had multiple roles within the past Trump administration. She worked for One American News as a correspondent and journalist there as well. And, uh, you know, we were we were talking about January 6th, but we also got onto some of the platform that looks like the Democrats are looking to shape as part of their midterm narrative. And uh, it's now we've narrowed it down to the three G's grooming guns because they're taking them. You just told us about that from the uh, governor in New York yesterday and Green New Deal. Uh, we, yeah. we, we saw yesterday. It was pretty interesting. So uh, Karine Jean-Pierre, the White House press secretary doing horrible in her new job mm. the past couple <laughs> weeks, um, you know, we saw that. With gas prices spiking, and we know they're high in New York, not as high as we're experiencing out here in California, but historically they're, they're kind of through the roof there as well. And, uh, you know, we saw some moves from the Biden administration that talked about invoking the Defense Production Act, which we saw under the Trump administration, basically uh, how Donald Trump was able to weaponize manufacturers who made, we'll just use one of our sponsors, Mike Lindell at MyPillow. You know, they, they went from making Giza Dream sheets and decided to start making Giza Dream masks. And, and stuff like that. So, but this whole narrative, it's not about lowering gas prices. It's about continuing the war on the uh, fossil fuel industry. So we saw that they're going to start using regular manufacturing plants who don't necessarily work in solar to start producing solar and wind related technology. Um, all of these companies in some way, shape or forms are, you know, linked back to China and, and yeah. subsidized there. So, so regardless of whether or not these these items are being manufactured in the United States, China's still going to be making money off of this of stuff while not lowering any of the gas prices. Let's hear her kind of get taken to task when she was uh, questioned about this yesterday. To invoke the Defense Production Act, because historically it's been in the 1950s uh, for the, the Korean War during COVID, it was enacted. What emergency is it, or what's the real emergency in the solar industry for the Defense Production Act? Um, so let me, uh, I was going to say first, the president, now. you know, when he takes the oh, Defense Production Act, it's to make sure that he's delivering for the American people. Uh, it is an important tool that he has used a couple of times and it has been incredibly effect effective. Uh, so uh, for this particular Clean Energy Defense uh, Production Act, uh, he is invoking the Defense Production Act to rapidly expand per, uh, domestic production uh, of solar panel parts, building ins insulation, heat pumps, and more. He is putting the full force uh, of the federal government's purchasing power behind supporting American clean energy manufacturers, mm. and he is providing U.S. solar uh, deployers uh, the short-term stability they need to build clean energy uh, projects and deliver more affordability energy to American families and business. Altogether, uh, these historic actions will cut cost uh, for American families, strengthen our power grid, and tackle the climate crisis. And with a stronger clean uh, energy arsenal, the United 
United States can be an even stronger partner to our allies, especially in the face of Putin's war in Ukraine. Uh, well, this is just a step to get to to a place where we do have a clean energy arsenal. So, no and so this is no. a very important part of the president's. Uh, this is a very important part of the president's uh, um, uh, agenda uh, in getting to that clean energy uh, uh, system that he's uh, been talking about since he walked into the administration. So this is that, and this is a way that we felt that we can act uh, to to get moving in that way. Okay. I'll come back. Up front. Go ahead. So you know, there was a lot of people who've been talking in the news lately, and and they were they were trying to make a really good point about it. Former Acting Defense Secretary Stephen Miller. No, I'm sorry, Chris Miller was on uh, Hannity yesterday with Cash Patel, and they were talking about stuff related to January 6th. But they also started talking about, you know, some of the other things that that's more related to this. Joe Biden went out and talked about it all the time, waging the war on the fossil fuel industry, and he was going to end fossil fuels. People thought that that was just one of the talking points that uh, he was making an attempt to cater to the Green New Deal crowd and, uh, you know, the progressives and a lot of people who are independent. But at the end of the day, if there's anything he followed up on and, and f- is following through on right now, it is waging war on the fossil fuel industry. And when you look at just the um, the energy grid of the United States in general, 80% of our energy is reliant on fossil fuels in, in, in regards to the energy grid for the entire country. And when nuclear power plants, I believe there's five in the last two fiscal years that have closed uh, permanently are being shut down. And then you see these ridiculous gas and energy prices coming out of you know, all the places that normally would work with this administration uh, and, and you, you see no hope in sight because they're eventually going to start producing more solar panels and, and wind-based technology. Uh, it's got to be pretty disturbing. It is, it is. I mean, you have to always question when these Democrats are using these words like allies. Whose allies? The American people's allies or their allies, the ones that are lining their pockets. And this is what they're doing. They're just been... They've been selling out American interests to the highest bidder. And right now the highest bidder is China from buying a lot of real estate to, you know, weaponizing COVID-19. Buying to, our debt. I mean, to, with the trade wars that we had, you know, I mean, it's just, they're really taken over, you know, and they're pushing this communism dictatorship system. And they're trying to, they're trying to make China uh, they're trying to make America uh, like China. And that's the problem with these corrupt Democrats is they're not working for the American people. They're working for themselves. Yeah, they certainly are in their special interest. Does it seem like any kind of surprise to uh, hear them talk about Putin's war again, even though the, mm-hmm. the national interest of it has, has completely fallen off the radar, especially with this week where they're teasing like the uh, primetime event that is the start of the January 6th committee on TV? Right. I mean, the whole thing with Putin, I'm just so sick of hearing that. Putin has been around for God knows how long. Now, all of a sudden, it's Putin this. You know what? I'm not a fan of Putin, but I think that him being in Ukraine and shutting down those biolabs that were funded by the U.S. was a good thing. Because somebody needs to be looking over what's going on over there, because there's a lot of corruption going on in Ukraine. And there's a lot of different stories coming from both sides. I'm not for war. Um, I think it's it's evil. It's it hurts the village. Then it actually hurts the higher ups. You know, there's just senseless wars, and they're always about power or greed or corruption. And it's just you know it's awful what's happening over there. But at the same time, you always have to question what you're being told on who's the bad guy and who's the good guys. I mean, 
maybe they're all bad or maybe some are bad and some are good, but definitely somebody needed to step in and shut down those bio labs because I don't know what they were working on um, in Ukraine, but it was funded by the U.S. and it's been proven already. So, I mean, it's just a messy situation all around. I've been reading um, The Laptop from Hell. Yeah, it's a great book. Uh, yes, the Hunter Biden story. And, you know, a lot of uh, Ukraine is mentioned in there a lot. China, Ukraine is just, you want to see a blueprint of what's going on right now, just read that book and it'll fill you in on a lot of, a lot of the stuff that's happening. Yeah, it certainly does. That's one I've listened. Well, I've actually read it and I've listened to the audiobook. The the narrator for the audiobook isn't as great as uh reading the actual book, but it, it is definitely juicy and it, it definitely gets to, you know, Hunter Biden w- was involved in a lot of the brokering that went into the uh refacing of those uh bio labs in Ukraine after the Cold War and then you had people like Nina Jankowicz who was the well, now currently disposed head of the Ministry of Truth for the Department of Homeland Security. She was one of the people that was telling everybody there's like nothing to see here when they were complete, completely refitting these labs to not, well, they said not make bioweapons, but do bioweapons related research, which is just like, I, you know. Not that kind of bioweapon, the good kind. You know, it's funny. They call themselves the Ministry of Truth. And these are the same people that when Matt Walsh, I believe his name is interviewing them, they're like, what truth? There's my truth and then there's your truth. So th- these people are just so far out of whack with reality that when they say the ministry of truth is like, you have to question it. You have like, who's truth though? Because to them, it, it, there's no such thing as facts or reality. It's everybody's personal truth or opinion on truth. I don't think they're calling themselves the ministry of truth. I think that was just the 1984 reference that everybody's using, but it's funny because what the disinformation governance board or whatever was their actual title. It's like they could have just made it more on the nose, you know. Well, the, the press was ca- calling them to task on that in the White House press briefings. Yeah, it's just everybody was calling it the same thing. It was amazing. Like they might as well have just been like, "Yeah, we're just going to steal this right from the book. It's good." Yeah. But don't take a lot of ideas from books. Yeah, but don't worry about it. Don't don't wor- don't worry about foreign wars or bio labs, Mm-mm. ridiculous gas prices. Or- no. Or any of your bills, because uh, Commerce Secretary Gina Raimondo was on uh, State of the Fake Union. Nice. <laughs> yeah, this weekend. And uh, she was talking about how amazing the economy is right now and how Joe Biden's ignoring everything oh, yeah. about it. Let's hear oh, it. Again, I mean, that's one way to look at it. But I want to go back to the basic facts. Right. I was the governor of Rhode Island during COVID. It's a state of a million people. And we had over 100,000 people collecting unemployment. We had people getting kicked out of their homes because they couldn't afford the rent. Because of the president's leadership, we are the, America is back to work. Wages are <laughs> Now they're getting kicked out because they can't afford the gas. Strong. People ha- have not been thrown out of their homes. We are not seeing the anemic and very painful economic recovery that we experienced in 2009, 10, 11, 12, and 13 after the last, you know, economic uh, slowdown. Yes, inflation's a problem. In no way do I want to minimize that. The Fed is independent. They are taking action, and you're already starting to see that. But fundamentally, what we have here is a robust economic recovery, and I think that's in large part due to the president's leadership. Antoinette. Now, you know, you live in a state that's greatly affected by uh, economics like California and New York is right now. You, mm-hmm. you, you don't necessarily see some of these, uh, well, I don't know, high times of living right now in regards to, uh, you know, keeping money in your wallet, not having to worry about all your bills and stuff like that. 
Yeah, man. Um, I did not expect Vegas to, well, for one, with the gas, right? I mean, in some places, I was taking a drive uh, this past this past week, mm -hmm. you know, because my uh, in-laws were in town. Gas was like six something. Yeah. And I'm like, holy shit. Like, I cannot believe this is blood over here because like when all when the entire country was was um going through harsh you know like uh times when it came to gas prices and inflation and all that stuff we weren't really affected and now and i'm like we're like the second highest state in the country yeah it, it, it's crazy we... out of nowhere and i can't even believe it, it for me i just don't even know how to comprehend it i i, I don't understand well i don't know if you guys miss it but antoinette what do you think about that knock I mean, she gave some very specific dates there. She talked about years from 2009 to 2013. Those are the Obama years. That's yeah. that's a, that's Joe Biden and uh, Barack Obama last time they were in the White House, and now they're throwing them under the bus saying that Joe Biden's done such a better job of uh, bringing <laughs> this economy back to life, unlike Barack Obama was able to. It kind of seemed like that was not only like, okay. Like, for themselves. Yeah, like a like, wink at Joe Biden, but also maybe, I think in part, maybe a little wink at Hillary Clinton too, because she's looking to separate herself from the Biden and Obama administrations to, uh, you know, make her case for the, uh, for the presidential, you know, races yeah, coming she, up in the next few years. She's trying to find a way to like revamp herself and her image so she can like insert herself at some point, but Oof. it's never going to happen. Just got to chill. Gross. It's never going to happen. <laughs> and Jasmine, you're living in New York. I mean, we're out here in California Antoinette, you know, it's like a new state for getting their ass kicked and everything. But since the start of like the Biden administration, for some reason, they've really targeted Nevada. I think it's for a lot of the, uh, you know, they're huge in the agriculture industry and that's tied to fuel costs. And then, you know, when you talk about the energy sector in Nevada, it's, it's, it's pretty, pretty big and impactful. They're just getting absolutely slammed. W what's it looking like in New York in regards to this? You know, are, are you seeing people not thrown out of their homes and, and not having an anemic economy and uh, experiencing a non-painful recovery from the uh, recession we're about to start? I mean, I've seen it firsthand. A lot of these restaurants shut down yeah. um, because they couldn't afford their rents. I've seen a higher number of homelessness and drug use. Um, you know, there were hotels, you know, like the Radisson, I think the Doubletree, like these high-end hotels being used as homeless shelters. Um, Crazy. The gas yesterday, I took a look, it was like $7 a gallon now. And that was, you know, it went from $5 a gallon to $7 a gallon within one month. So that's a pretty big jump. And, you know, it's, it's just, it's just scary because even going to restaurants now, they're charging you a convenience fee. So, you know, every, the consumer is the one that's suffering, you know, it's not the big corporations. It's, you know, it's not, it's not the government that's suffering. Every time something goes up, you know, they're going to raise the prices on food. They're going to raise the prices on this. Restaurants can't afford, you know, certain to bring in certain seafoods. They're going to raise the price on that. You know, it's, I try to tell everyone, just start preparing. You know, they looked at me like I was crazy when I made my little doomsday wish list on Amazon. <laughs> But, you know, I tell people you should watch Doomsday Preppers. It's a good show. Sure. The, you know, promoting the show or anything, but it's a good show because it talks about all the different lives of people that, you know, are preparing for either economic collapse, uh, World War Three, floods, I mean, you name it. And I think everybody should have some type of an emergency plan put in place, you know, start being so, so reliant on the government to, you know, fill up your refrigerator. If you have a home, if you have a backyard, even living in the city, an apartment, you can, you know, plant some herbs and, you know, try to find ways where 
you don't you don't need the government for anything you know try to stay healthy try to avoid these foods and these chemicals that it's in everything you know i have chickens now in my mother's house you know producing yeah. almost over a dozen eggs daily no you, you make you make a, you make a lot of yeah. sense there and believe me if if people didn't know preppers let's say 10, 15 years ago when shows like that started becoming a little bit more popular, I guarantee, like, especially in places like New York City, you're probably sitting on the subway with a couple of them and you wouldn't even tell or be able to tell by looking at them uh, mm-hmm. these days because, you know, people are just, it, it's sad, but, you know, when it comes to that stuff, you're living in fear. Let's just look at it this way. Attack on the U.S. power grid. Oh, the electricity goes off. With, with Within hours, people can't get any money. You know, the stuff that's refrigerated both in the stores and your home starts going bad. What do you guys do? Well, that's not to mention, a lot of people are investing in solar panels. Yep. Not to mention if it does go down and it goes down to the extent where they can't immediately get it back up, it's I mean, you're you're looking at months of no power. Like our our power grid is so outdated and over just overloaded. Yep. To say the least. Especially yeah. when you're turning down all the nuclear power plants and stuff like that and, and shuttering them for good. Yep. Now, all the stuff that Jasmine touched on that's uh, directly affecting New York City, which is one of the major hubs in the country that they're always trying to point to as a sparkling example of all the good work that the Biden administration, good old Scranton Joe himself, took to the podium yesterday to uh, counter everything. Basically, she just said. Kind of trickle-down economics. It doesn't work. My plans are to produce the strongest, fastest, most widespread economic recovery America has ever experienced. With record jobs, mm. new record small businesses, and wages rising. It's the foundation for an economy that works for working families. Because of that foundation, we're better positioned than any country in the world to overcome global inflation that we're seeing and reach a new chapter of stable and steady growth. So let's come together and focus on what's matter, on what matters. Let's build on the extraordinary progress we've made. Let's continue to build this economy from the bottom up and the middle out. When that happens, everybody does well, including the very wealthy. Oh, including the very wealthy, who he's been saying we need to murder them with taxes for the last, like, six months. Who writes Joe Biden's speeches? I'm, I want to know because this I've person is <laughs> I want to know who the hell is a speechwriter. Right. What kind of drugs are they taking that they're living <laughs> in this fantasy world? I'm hoping it's like some sort of white hat that just like <laughs> is trying oh, to sabotage this guy. Yeah. It's, it's comedy at this point. Just we're to we're going to add a digit to the gas pumps from the middle out. <laughs> yeah. It's like, what? <laughs> Well, ABC didn't take too long to uh, counter this narrative. I saw last night they had a 2020 midterm election monitor segment, and uh, we're talking about how bad underwater Joe Biden is on a lot of these issues. Let's hear it real quick. What you're seeing is President Biden is a serious drag on Democratic candidates nationwide, and it's driven by his approval rating on a range of issues. He is badly underwater on all of the top issues, including the big ones, inflation, gas prices. He has less than 30% approval rating on the issues that we're told by voters are dominating their state of mind, even on issues like gun violence, abortion rights, issues that he is elevating into the conversation in recent weeks. He is still uh, significantly underwater. The only issue that we see him above water on, 56% approval rating on his handling of COVID-19, the problem for Democrats and Biden is that that happens to be the issue that voters are telling us is the least likely to be animating their vote this fall. And, And that's also spilling over 
into an enthusiasm gap that's developing. You see this in our poll with Ipsos, 13-point edge for Republicans in terms of people that say that they are very enthusiastic, very eager to vote this fall. You're seeing independent voters largely sitting out the midterm so far. Now, that enthusiasm gap is a little narrower than it was last time we polled on it two months ago. But still, those are the kind of numbers that have Democrats worried about a potential wave election. So, you know, we, we kind of live in the black pill states like New York and uh, and California. You know, today's the uh, the primaries out here in California, and there are some great candidates running. You know, we should see, like, uh, Connie, who's looking to fill uh, Devin Nunes' seat. We've got Cordy Williams, who's running for Senate one. Uh, we've had Amy Fan West on here, who's running a relatively new district. She should do fine as well. Yeah, Kevin Kiley and, and, and some of the ones. Tremino's going for governor, but I, I just don't think there's enough to, uh, you know, take down Gavin Newsom right now. But you know, the same thing in New York, you, you guys got some great candidates and you'll have out in the more rural reason, uh, region, some America first candidates, Jasmine coming in there to really represent, uh, you know, the conservative base and the America first movement. But, you know, it, it, does it surprise you at all to hear, you know, you have the commerce secretary, you have the white house press secretary, and then Joe Biden in succession all talk about how amazing they're doing. And then, you know, a, a news organization that's usually one that caters to to the Democrat Party, like ABC, go out and absolutely throw them under the bus, literally on item for item of all those issues that, uh, you know, Joe Biden just basically said he was doing great on. Well, that's because they're trying to replace him. Now they're, you know, it's just like those memes where it's like, I'm done with you with COVID and it's a new <laughs> Throwing him out of the car. <laughs> yeah, they're basically, that's what they're doing now. They're trying to toss him either that or they're trying to, you know, get those conservatives view- or viewers to start watching these leftists, news programs which you know we all know their their intentions are not really there they'll say oh you know we agree biden is not doing a good job but then these are the same people that will call an election you know before it's even fully counted you know so i wouldn't trust anything that the mainstream media says at this point even if it's something that i agree with them on um just because their their motives and their intentions are not in the right place um these are people that are not real journalists that you know, they're, they're just, there's definitely an agenda there. I'm pretty sure they just want to replace them, have somebody else in the presidential ticket for uh, 2024. I could certainly see that. You know, it's funny you mentioned the election and uh, good old 80 million votes himself, Joe Biden. Mm. It, it said on that, that little news clip that we just played from ABC News on all of his polling, the only thing he's still not underwater on is his response to COVID-19. However, it was like under the radar with all the stuff going on yesterday. I saw a couple of news agencies reported on 80 million vials or doses of the COVID-19 vaccine were destroyed this week because they had expired due to uh, lack of interest from the public and mm-hmm. not wanting to get it anymore. So I thought that that was pretty interesting. Mm-hmm. I saw Newt Gingrich, he jumped on yesterday on, on, on Fox News, and, and he had some strong words for, for the 46th president of the United States. I think Noah's going to enjoy this one. Let's hear it. Do you think Biden has a clue of how bad it's going to look in the middle of this inflation and gas price and crime crisis that he's going on a comedy show where the host is going to be kind of joking around and this is after a hundred days plus that he hasn't even done an interview with anybody and he's going to sit down with a comedian do you think biden sees kind of outside what other people might perceive well let me say first of all i I thought you took a little bit of a cheap shot in pointing out that he went on a four-day vacation why does it matter? I mean, he's not there when he's in the White House, so he might as well not be there on a Delaware beach, uh, because it's clear. I mean, he's the commander of nothing. We have mm. not, in my lifetime, uh, we have never had a commander of nothing. 
And that's what <laughs> no. we now have, not a commander-in-chief, but a commander of nothing. But secondly, his staff must be insane. Yeah. I mean, how do you sit around in a room and say to each other, I got it. We're going to put Joe on a comedy show so we can have lots of people laughing when they can't afford the gasoline. They're worried about getting mugged, raped, or killed. Yep. Uh, they're worried about all the illegal immigrants. They can't afford to go and, and buy groceries anymore. But boy, they're going to love Joe as a comedian. I mean, you, you can't imagine how dumb the White House staff must be and how out of we touch can. with the real world to think that that would make any sense. The only thing dumber than that would be to put Kamala on Kimmel. <laughs> Speaker. Oh, listen, I would, love hearing, I would love hearing her laughing. You know, there's a, there's a site that has 10 hours of her laughing. And I think, you know, put they're her using on a that show like that right now to torture and then people. recognize that she may not be vice president, but she could at least be a good audience for a comedy show. Yeah, she'd actually do well in the audience for Kimmel's show. That'd be great. Exactly. Antoinette, what do you think when uh, you hear Newt Gingrich do some possible comms and say maybe uh, Joe Biden is currently the commander of nothing? I love it. Well, he's right. I mean, this this man can't even make a decision for himself. Yes, he has all these handlers around him. I think there's just a big cluster of these swamp rats that are actually running the country right now that are pulling the strings because Joe Biden is just a puppet. Um, the whole comedy appearance thing, I mean... This entire administration is a one big joke, you know, from the fake sets to the fake voters to his fake followers on Twitter. Everything is just fake. It's just one big fantasy. And I, you know, I'm not a fan of fantasy movies. <laughs> well, you make a whole lot of sense there. I, I, you know, I think it, it, if there's anything from this segment that, that's been proven today, it's if... Uh, any of us ever need to call in sick, I think Jasmine would be an adequate replacement as a guest host on this show, uh, kind of in the thread of Geisha Montez and some of our other reoccurring guests to where, listen. You can take my place any day, Jazz. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> we, we've barely, we, we've talked back and forth a little bit online. You know, she's liked some of our posts. We've liked some of hers, obviously. But, uh, you know, the fact of the matter is she's right, dialed into that narrative and the thread and the pulse of what's really going on. In our last audio clip of this segment, we've got uh, Sebastian Gorka yesterday. He was on... Uh, his show on Newsmax, and he was joined by Matt Gates, who's who's probably one of our favorite House members. He's he's gone yeah. through an, an enormous maturity process over the course of the last year, and uh, has really brought himself to the forefront of of being an actual leader in the House of Representatives, not by appointed title, but by what he says and actually does in in regards to uh, taking people to task and holding them accountable. Let's hear uh, a little bit of a prospectus on on what he feels after the midterm elections. I don't believe the game you're watching with Michael Sussman is the real game that's being played. Sussman was in no legal jeopardy through this trial. I mean, I think the jury had multiple Hillary Clinton donors, an AOC donor, and even a lady whose daughter was on the rowing team with Michael Sussman's daughter. Mm. I mean, I've heard of a jury of your peers, but maybe not a jury of your fellow travelers, ideologically speaking, yeah. so much. Uh, what I do believe is that there's an attempt now to button this thing up from the DOJ standpoint. And you saw that in the statement from John Durham. He thanked his fellow prosecutors. He thanked the investigators. He about said everything other than tip your waitresses on the way out. Here's my commitment. When Republicans retake the majority, we are not going to relent in our oversight when it comes to politicizing opposition research and then using it for motivated investigations for elections and power as opposed to justice. That's going to be our focus. That's going to be uh, what we endeavor to do. Fairly, 
thoroughly, rigorously. But we uh, have spoken as Republicans on the Judiciary Committee, and even if Durham's giving up, we are not. And that's kind of, you know, a follow from some of the stuff coming down from last week. But, you know, it's great to hear that people that are actually in the Congress right now and not waiting for the ones that are going to be voted in there between now and November and then take over in January are going to be working actively to not only provide oversight via committee, but look to um, judicially prosecute people uh, for stuff that's occurred over the past year and a half. It'll be two years by the time, you know, it comes up again, uh, you know, in January of next year. But it's got it's got to be great and refreshing to hear that, you know, they're not just veiled threats. We know that people like Matt Gates are going to go hold the line and carry these things out. Right. That's true. But, you know, what they need to worry about is the constant attacks. I mean, look what they did to Madison Cawthon. Sure. Look what they're doing to Marjorie Taylor. You know, they're, they're attacking the hardcore American loving conservatives right now in Congress. And that's something that they have to be careful and look out for. Um, you know, there's just so much corruption with the Democrat Party right now, and they have the House, you know, and it's it's going to be tough. Everybody knows America, I believe, it's 80% conservative, I would think, you know. The majority are conservatives, you know, those traditional American values. But if we don't get these elections, you know, properly done with these Dominion voting machines and these mail-in ballots and, you know, there's so much fraud going on right now and it's not being investigated. A lot of stations like, you know, Fox and Newsmax, they're not covering these stories. So what's going to happen when we win again and then we get our election stolen again? I mean, what, what's, what's the point of making all these promises if we're not getting down to the most important thing is making sure that, making sure that these votes count and that they're not going to steal another election because it's probably going to happen again if nothing's being done. I mean, we have 2,000 mules and a lot of documentaries, but they're not being they're not being shown right now on television or on the news. Yeah, you make an excellent point, and I think what we really need to focus on is overwhelming the ballot box on Election Day. Mm-hmm. Uh, we saw that was a formula that worked very well in Virginia. Uh, we know that the radical progressive left did not want Glenn Youngkin to win, and he wound up getting, you know, it, it was like a 21% increase from the uh, – 2018 uh, primaries in the 2020 presidential elections in regards to registered voters and people actually showing up day of that kind of breaks their system. Um, they, they didn't have a plan in place in the 2020 election. We all know when those four major blue wall states and uh, battleground states shut down in the middle of the night to recalibrate their votes and kind of fix the election for Joe Biden. That that's the only counter narrative they had this time. But moving forward, we're not going to be able to listen. There's not going to be four broken pipes in four different states that they're going to be allowed to legitimately do again moving forward. So. We're just hoping, yeah, by bringing awareness to all our listenership, by constantly bringing on, you know, major influencers like yourselves, people that were connected to the prior administration and ones that are looking to be part of it moving forward. Mm-hmm. Uh, we just have to, you know, continue to encourage people to get out there and, and, and make those choices at the ballot box. But don't think because you live in, like, listen, I live in California. I know my vote totally goes in the garbage. But as soon as I'm done with the podcast today, I'm driving right to the election center. I'm going to cast my vote because that's my right. And regardless of whether or not it means anything in the overall equation, I'm going to go out there and, and, you know, use my right to do it. Yeah. There's too many people that they're, well, I'm just not going to do it. It doesn't matter anymore. It's like, well, yeah, but it's, that's also kind of one of the things that they're counting on that you're so disenfranchised and you're just like, you know what, whatever. I'm just not going to do it anymore. Yeah. We can't make it easy for them to cheat. Yeah. And if people are not voting, then it's going to be easier to replace those people. They're not voting, which is why they have a caravan of almost, I think 15,000 new Democrats. (laughs) 
No, they're hot on the way here. And they're going to have to buy them a lot of Biden t-shirts. We don't have the luxury yeah, of living a in. a lot of Biden t-shirts. And the crazy thing is that they're spreading them around all these red states. Sure. Florida, yeah. Texas. I, I, I saw on the news last night that the uh, Biden middle-of-the-night flights have doubled in the past mm-hmm. two months. And you want to know what their counter-narrative is to that? Don't watch the Fox News expose on the Biden flights because today what's happening right now at the White House, the press conference that's going on like right now on Tuesday in real time, Someone who wanted to run for Republican governor of Texas but decided not to, Matthew McConaughey. Get out. All all right, all right, all right, is at the White House press conference right now telling us how we need to make school safer. I like him. I think cool. I I like him, too. cooler if you did. Exactly. But he's out there being the distraction of the week. We obviously had Johnny Depp be the distraction of the week last week. And then moving forward, I guess we'll have to see when the January 6th committee starts this Thursday what the distraction of next week will be. But, but Jasmine, we're, we're getting ready to cut with you right now. We want our listenership who's hearing you for the first time today to be able to follow you on social medias. If you have a website or anything you want to leave, we'll, we'll live link it in the show description. Yes, thank you. It's jasmineivy.com. It's currently under construction right now. Um, but that is the, my website that I own indefinitely. Um, you know, my Instagram is always changing, but you know, even if they delete this one, I'll end up finding you guys. I know who to look for. And, um, you know, I'm going to still keep pushing through. They can't, you know, that's what they want is for people to give up. So it's not going to happen. Well, it's been our pleasure hosting you today, and I, I could pretty much assume from the rest of the pod team, I think it, it would be a 3-0 vote. We're, we're most likely going to have you back in the very near future. Oh, yeah. Thank you. It's, it's a pleasure and an honor being here. Yeah, the pleasure was all ours. This is a conservative influencer, model, and new friend of Steak for Breakfast, Jasmine Ivy. Thanks for coming down with us today. Bye, guys. All right, joining us next on the show today, he's a Republican candidate for Arizona Attorney General. We're in the big battleground state there. It's his first time on Steak for Breakfast. We're ha- very happy to have him. Abe Hamaday, thanks for coming on with us. Thanks for having me, guys. Oh, no, you've come uh, highly recommended. There are several people who have come through our show, I believe. Let's see. We've got uh, probably Carrie Lake, Boris Epstein, Eric Knight, I think Cash Patel. Rick Rennell might even have dropped your name last week. And uh, long overdue probably for our Steak for Breakfast listening crowd. How's everything going with you? It's going fantastic. You know, this America First movement, you know, with Donald Trump really you know, instilled in us that fighting spirit. It's happened all across the country. But right here in Arizona, as you mentioned, there's so many good candidates running. And, you know, I think Arizona's going to be, I'm so sick of hearing Ron DeSantis in Florida. <laughs> you know, so I think Arizona's going to be the leading example in the country. But we just also got endorsed on Friday by Senator Rand Paul. Saw which that. Was a, yeah, that's yeah, was huge. So it was great, especially for me, because I got involved in politics way back in 2007. I was like a you know high school student back then. And I got involved in a Ron Paul campaign. You know, if you remember Ron Paul running for president in sure. 2008. And back then, you know, we were the gadflies. We were the uh, the media, the establishment and the Republican Party hated us. And turns out, I think, you know, the, the Ron Paul liberty movement was right about uh, a lot of things. And, you know, I think it's just finally the Republican Party has awakened up to to all the mess that we're in right now. Technically, if you look at it, over a decade has passed and not much has changed. They still hate all of these people running on the America First tickets because they know that's <laughs> just a huge hit to the establishment. Um, all right, let's talk about Arizona real quick. You know, we, we've got, uh, what, a departing Attorney General Mark Burnovich, who's in, in the Senate bid right now up against Blake Masters and Jim Lehman. We have uh, so many great candidates who have come on this show there. There's so many qualified in the House. Blake Masters is a regular on Steak for Breakfast. In addition to that, Carrie Lake's going to be making her sixth appearance this week on Friday. Um, you know, you mentioned Ron DeSantis when you started uh, your monologue a little bit ago. The, the fact of the matter is, you know, I saw, I'm not going to name names, but a senator who wasn't Rand Paul. 
mentioned something about, you know, the border crisis we're having uh, on Twitter the other day. And I actually had to quote that tweet and tag Carrie Lake. And I said, you want to know what? fact of the matter is the people that are in Washington, D.C. right now, the Senate and in the House, they could have done things to stop what's going on at the border. There are ways to do it. And uh, they chose not to. And that's working with their state representatives. That's where you guys all come in. Uh, Carrie Lake's got a hugely combative plan to uh, counter the border disaster that's going on uh, down there right now. I think you're pretty much on board with, uh, you know, her border policy. And uh, it's one of those things where we've just we've we've let it go. Wait, they They told me everything's fine. Well, well, yeah, technically, and we have full operational control of the border, according to our elected officials as well. Uh, so, hey, part of the stuff that's going on at the border, you know, it, it borderlines, when you look at it constitutionally, as criminal. Uh, when you look at just not upholding the laws that are on the books of the United States, it's not about presenting new legislation. It's not about, you know, finishing or not finishing certain things. It's just kind of about grandstanding right now to make it like a midterm election issue. But what is part of the comprehensive plan that you guys got ready down there in uh, Arizona to combat the crisis at the border? Absolutely. So. You know, when I look at what's going on at the border, I don't consider it as, you know, a federal immigration issue. Uh, I think what's happening, it's an invasion and it's a national security issue. And the federal government has totally neglected its job. And, you know, what's happening right now is all of this isn't planned. It was very intentional and orchestrated. Even before Joe Biden got elected uh, or selected, rather, he you saw that they were wearing the Joe Biden let us in T-shirts. Yep. Right. I mean, remember the thousands of them wearing that. So they were flocking the border then. And you're seeing about 15,000 caravan coming uh, up the border right now as, we, as we're speaking. So what's happening, what I want to do is designate the cartels as a terrorist organization. And one of the ramifications of that is under current state law, Arizona state law, we use the U.S. Department of State definition of what terrorist organizations are. And let me tell you how politicized the Department of State has become. The Afghan Taliban was not listed as a terrorist organization until January of 2021. The Yemen Houthi rebels who are fighting, who are firing missiles at us while I was in Saudi Arabia with the U.S. Army, they were delisted as a terrorist organization by Joe Biden. So I think our state legislature has the ability to designate the narco terrorists um, with the cartels. And what that would do is have enhanced sentencing on them. So instead of just getting five years in prison for, say, drug smuggling, they would possibly get uh, 10 years. And same with the new human smuggling statutes that have been passed. So um, I do consider what's going down at the border as an invasion where we can use Article 1, Section 10 State War Powers Act. That's been a big advocate for that has been former Virginia Attorney General Ken Cuccinelli. And you know, it's a it's a new legal strategy, but that's what I'm about. I think right now we have to fight back. I mean, who would have ever thought that Roe v. Wade would have been overturned, right? I mean, it's, it was there for 49 years, but it required people with a backbone and not accepting the status quo. So, you know, Arizona is just on the front lines of so many of the battles that the country faces. Oh, you make a whole lot of sense there. And, and you know, we always talk about it on this show. There's there's so many national policies that they make such a big deal of on the news and uh at the end of the day, constitutionally, it all goes back down to state rights and, and, you know, protecting the citizens and the constituents that live there. And I think you guys that are working at the top of the ticket there, the Carrie Lakes, yourself, Mark Finchams, uh, you guys have a comprehensive plan that's ready to combat this and really uh, make Arizona's border normal again, mm-hmm. uh, which it hasn't been for for, for many years. It, it kind of slowed down under the Trump administration, but we saw it just get porous again once the Biden administration came in, and here we are. One thing about the... Uh Labeling the cartels as terrorist organizations, I wonder what that would do for, for instance, uh, Mexican citizens who are trying to claim asylum in the United States, if that would give them kind of a more viable asylum claim. I don't know. 
I don't know. Right. I, I think right now what we have to do is what's going down at the border, the cartels, I mean, many of them are former Mexican special forces, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, they, they yep. actually have a legitimate military training. They have, they have drones on the border. But, you know, the asylum laws, that's going to be determined by the federal government. But what Article 1, Section 10, state war powers, it's going to allow us to deport the illegals who are coming in. Like, I mean, if you saw the news conference with Governor Doug Ducey, I don't know if you saw it back in December, he was standing at the border and he had a National Guard soldiers with him. He had sheriff deputies. And then in walked in two dozen illegal immigrants. I mean, what weakness did that show to the rest of the world that our border is wide open? And Governor Doug Ducey didn't do anything. He just looked over his shoulder and you know <laughs> looked back at facing the camera. Any good leader would have ordered their arrest and had them sent back right then and there. But, you know, the cartels and the illegal immigrants, they know the laws better than we do. Yep. And they're getting a lot more aggressive with it, too. So, you know, we're talking about states power. What I'm so sick and tired of, you know, people tell me, oh, Abe, you got to moderate yourself. You got to capture the independence. Well, let me tell you, look what Ron DeSantis did in Florida. I mean, here he is. He barely won against Andrew Gillum in 2018. I don't know if you remember that. That was oh, yeah. like one percent election. Andrew Gillum, the one who was snorting cocaine off hookers and all that. Uh, but he barely won that election. And now he's about to beat Charlie Chris, the former Florida governor, by about 20 percent. So he turned Florida from being a purple state into bright red by sticking to his convictions. And that's exactly what we can do right here in Arizona. No, you make a whole lot of sense there. And it's uh, it's just the fact of the matter. I think a lot of, you know, in a lot of cases, especially there, when you parlay everything that's going on with the economy and gas prices and energy and stuff like that, and then you have a border crisis going on in your own state, I think some of those ones down on the southern border just have a little bit more uh, – you know, oomph behind them to go out there and make those America first choices. Uh, another topic I wanted to touch with you on was uh, election integrity. We know that's something huge in Arizona. A lot of people played, you know, said it played a significant role in the 2020 presidential election. We all know, you know, a lot of the things that have happened there via documentaries and investigations. And we had the audit and stuff like that. What are some of the things you're looking at, you know, as the AG that, that would, you know, make huge changes to what's standing on the books right now in regards to election integrity stuff? So sure. So first of all, what I want to do is I tell folks the 2020 election needs to be prosecuted and you prosecute crimes that occurred in the past. So I'm so sick and tired of you know people telling us that we have to move on. I mean, look at Durham. The Durham probe is now going after the crimes of 2016. And, you know, Cash Patel obviously can document all of what happened there. So besides obviously prosecuting the 2020 crimes, which there's ample amount of evidence from, you know, Dinesh D'Souza's 2000 Mules documentary. And isn't it sad that we have to require a documentary filmmaker to expose so many of the crimes? I mean, here, you know, the attorney general has the top attorneys, the top investigators. That's what we got to be more aggressive on. But, you know, the biggest excuse I've heard from Mark Burnovich on why the investigation has been slow is he says there's only one attorney at the election integrity unit office. And he said, there's only a few investigators. You know, I'm an, I'm a former army captain intelligence officer. I, I mean, you, you recognize you could shift resources around the office. You could boost that election integrity units uh, office with attorneys about 10, you know, three months prior to an election and keep them on after the election or, you know, shift them while there's an investigation going on. But besides that, legislatively, what we need to do is ban these ballot drop boxes. And, you know, I tell folks when I was in the army when in Saudi Arabia, when I was deployed out there, I actually voted overseas. And back in the day, you would get shipments of ballots overseas, right? But how I voted in the 2020 election was I had to print off my ballot from a computer, fill it out, and then take a photo of it 
and email it to the county recorder's office. So none of it was anonymous. And then when I got back here in September of 2021, I had multiple mail-in ballots at my house that were not in my name. So they've consistently and constantly gaslighted us about the 2020 election. And, you know, it's a great shame that we've moved into primarily mail-in ballots, to be quite honest with you. I mean, by every single metric with mail-in ballots, it's been a failure. We don't even get the results on the same day, yet they're counting the ballots, you know, weeks before the actual election day. So if you have a corrupt and crooked elected official, they could, you know, see where they need to shift resources around. So that's what we talk about, you know, we're about the 2020 election and how corrupt the the mail-in ballots are. But I'm a former prosecutor. You know, I think we've forgotten as Americans that there's a price of citizenship, right? We have a civic duty. Um, As a prosecutor, I saw firsthand with jury duty, you know, that is something that you're obligated to go to in person. You can't just call in, you know, even if you have an excuse, you have to go show them that you have a valid excuse. But we've shifted towards all mail-in ballots, and I think it's been a real detriment to our elections. Oh, I mean, listen, you make a whole lot of sense there. We've covered it extensively on this show. We've had every single person on from former elected officials, people directly related to Trump world who are out in the private sector right now. So many of the people that worked in the Trump administration, both on and off the elections who, uh, you know, are running, let's just say, in House seats, Senate seats, and then local seats all over the country. And it's one of those things where we've, number one, got to get to the bottom of 2020. If actual crimes happen, we have to figure out a way to prosecute these people. There's video documented evidence, like you said. And then most importantly, we have to fortify our elections, make them actually the safest and most secure in the history of the world moving forward. Like, you know, everybody in the Beltway told us before the 2020 presidential election and then, uh, you know, move on from there because we all know that Arizona is not a purple state. You know, a lot of people call it a battleground state because people are always moving in and out. But, you know, when you just saw some of the things leading up to the 2020 presidential election, we always circle back to the 100-mile Trump rally of cars and trucks, uh, you know, and, and things of that nature. It just the votes that came out in the end and the votes that appeared to were going to be cast in the election just didn't, you know, resonate with everybody else across the country. And, uh, you know, Arizona is one of the states we know is going to be at the forefront of uh, leading better ways to fix this. But, uh, hey, besides border security and election integrity, what are some of the other, you know, big pillars of your campaign that you're looking to stump on right now? So, you know, I for me, I always talk about, because you're exactly right, all Republicans are talking about the same thing, right? The border, elections. So how do you differentiate them? And I think it has to go with, you know, go with your gut, go with that fighting attitude. Too many Republicans are weak need and they capitulate to the radical left. So one of the things that I see as a huge problem is obviously critical race theory and how the left has been attacking us culturally. I mean, when you're talking about what they've done, I come back here in September of 2020. I turn on the NFL and there's a black national anthem and the liberal media came after me and calling me a racist or whatever because I was criticizing a black national anthem. No, it is stupid. And I don't mind saying that. And I think, you know, how they're trying to divide us up by race yep. when you know, our founding motto is e pluribus unum out of many one. Mm-hmm. And here I am, you know, being in the military, it's the most beautiful thing because you see, you know, Southerners, Western uh, people on the West Coast and you have no matter what religion you are, or what race you are, you're all in it wearing that same American flag because we are one nation with one flag and one anthem them. But you see how quickly they are to hoist the BLM flag or the rainbow flag, and they don't want to, you know, 
they're not prideful in um, supporting the American flag. And I think, I think Americans are sick and tired of it. I mean, when you have Bill Maher basically becoming an independent, I think the radical left has gone, you know, so far to the left that we're going to, it's a, it's a winning issue, but it's also the right issue because what they've done by indoctrinating children to confuse them, you know, it's, it's, it's such a detriment to our society. And as attorney general, this isn't new. If you remember, you probably don't for, for, Arizona, but 10 years ago, down in Tucson, they had these things, they had this program called Chicano Ethnic Studies that they were trying to indoctrinate um, school children with. And it was actually the attorney general at the time who fought that. But the radical left, they're smart. So they always rebrand it. So now it's critical race theory. And now they're rebranding it once again to what is it, social emotional learning. Um, so we always have to be constantly on top of it. But I think that's what sets me apart is we're going to take the cultural fight to the radical left and not negotiate with them anymore. No, it, it makes a whole lot of sense, I think, pushing back hard on those issues, like especially ones that come from the classroom. Social uh, what? Social, Social emotional learning. I Social think emotional one. learning. Oh, it's a thing. For real? Yeah. No, wow, I've not heard that. No, I was a special ed teacher for a long time, and that's like That one sounds of very special ed. No com- offense to special verbiage. ed people. Yeah, well, they're making up new categories of everything for oh. every kid now, and uh, they're trying to get them, you know— so so lost to the world before they even get out of school. It, it, it's an uphill battle that we're fighting, but we have great candidates like you running, Abe, which is, you know, the last thing I want to touch on. We want to be able to support your campaign. We want our listenership who's hearing you for the first time today be able to get in there, find your campaign website, you across social media. So can you listen for our audience? Absolutely. So it's going to be abe4ag.com abe4ag.com and I'm pretty tech savvy so we bought the the number four and the the letters f-o-r so abe4ag.com and then I'm pretty active on truth social and twitter and it's at abraham hamaday um h-a-m-a-d-e-h we're live linking you in the show description today and I'll be tagging you on social medias when the show's up a little bit later this afternoon it's been a pleasure sitting down with you for the first time we're of course gonna hope that you come back between now and the uh, midterm elections we could talk about some of these issues a little bit more in-depthedly and uh, we're going to be supporting you from here on out but uh republican candidate arizona attorney general right here america first all the way abe homiday thanks for coming on steak for breakfast i appreciate it gentlemen thank you take care what a way to start the week what do you guys think outstanding very uh america first packed edition of the steak for breakfast podcast which you uh, could consequently listen to on just about every place you could hear podcast downloaded. Find us on iTunes, Spotify, Podbean, Podata, Google Podcasts, FM Player, iHeartRadio, the Patriot Podcast Network on the Roku app. Just about everywhere else you could uh, search out Steak for Breakfast. Subscribe to the show and rate it. Don't forget to leave a review. And always download, listen, like, follow, and share Steak for Breakfast content. Show creds go to our amazing guest this week, Miss Save America herself, Christina Bob. Damn! Absolutely. You might want to hit that button again because we have a uh, conservative influencer, Jasmine Ivy, joining us for the first time. Damn! Mike Yoder probably deserves one as well, too. He's out there working Damn. hard for us. Abe Hamaday and John Gibbs as well. In addition to that, some of our internet friends, Cagbro88, Patriotic Babes Accounts, Mr. Garbaggio, Hugh White Memes, who continues to be our pseudo-manager yeah. on social medias, and Tom Pappert, the editor-in-chief of Valiant News Live. Friends, don't forget to go out and throw some cashola at our partners because when you do that, it doesn't do anything for us, but it does help make small American businesses great again. My pillow. And in promo code stake at checkout, big big savings. Steve Bannon suing Nancy Pelosi. He always says apparatus. Get yourself some my pillow slippers for Father's Day gifts. Apparatuses? Exactly. And in promo code stake at checkout, big big savings. Odyssey for all those ear related needs. 
I mean, they have other stuff there too. They got some speakers. They have some other audio equipment. But when you talk about the top tier of ear gear, you cannot confuse anyone with Odyssey. Odyssey.com is the website. You can find them on Facebook and Instagram. Stay ready, your holsters. If you want a picture of uh, John Gibbs wearing his Jesus piece, both literally and metaphorically, like we saw him today, that thing was massive and quite impressive. Mm-hmm. Uh, they'll do it for you. They'll throw it on a concealed carry Kydex holster, and you can put your favorite shooty shoot in there. StayReadyGear.com is the website. You can find them on Facebook and Instagram as well. Man rubs! <laughs> Noah's favorite. Listen, we're going to have some guests in studio coming up here in June. I got to restock. I'm running out of some of my rubs. Well, my kids know you have it in your cabinet from last time. Here. Little sneakers. Yeah, there you go. Uh, at some point in June, we're going to be sitting down in studio to do the news with Sublime and Slime, formerly of the R. Donald Discord. Major, major influencer there, and he's bringing Brick Suit along with him. So nice. that's happening. But when they come here, we're going to have to buy some meat, shake it, sprinkle it, rub it, smoke it. Break it up. Ask them if they want barbecue sauce on it. Hawaiian rolls will be optional, and mm. they're going to throw it in their mouth. Num, num, num. I got some ribs in the freezer already. And you didn't even garrison me this time for it. Thank you. Mike down at West Coast Survival Arms has a pretty simple equation for all your firearm-related needs, and that is firearms, parts, accessories, and ammo. WestCoastSurvivalArms.com is the website. 619-870-6992 is the phone number, and you can talk to Mike on Facebook Messenger. Easy peasy. Mediocre Medic for all our first responders. Uh, you're going to love their gear a lot, and you're going to love their Instagram a little bit more. MediocreMedic.com is the website. And go get yourself a Zero Fucks Duck. Only place you can do that, DumpBox.us. Don't know? Go ask Mark Joe Friday. He'll take care of you and get you all squared away there. The upcoming shows. Man, this one was uh, going to be hard to beat, but apparently we're going to be doing that on Friday. We're going to have Arizona gubernatorial candidate Carrie Lake. America first candidate in Washington three, Joe Kent. We're going to sit down with former Trump administration, high ranking official, Andrew Coster. We're going to circle back with North Carolina 13 nominee, Bo Hines. And we're going to do the news with two of our favorite meme accounts, not far out and Republican actual are going to be here with us in spirit. We'll be back next week on Tuesday evening edition of the show. So far, we've got Emma Mitchum coming in to do the news. And we're going to sit down for the first time with Devin Nunes. Jackson Lehmeyer is going to be with us. He's running the Oklahoma Senate. He's got a primary coming up. He's going to be with us next Friday. The following week, we've got a pretty good one to start the week. Robbie Starbuck, newly re-added back to the Tennessee House ticket there. Won his court case. He's back. We're going, nice. to be, we're going to be one of his first interviews as long as Steve Bannon's people aren't listening to it right now and pluck him and use him right before he comes on our show, which is completely fine. We see you. There you go. Cash Patel and Max Miller are coming in for a segment as well. That's going to be spicy as ever. And we're going to circle back with Keith Pekow, who's work running in Illinois 6. Uh, Blake Masters is coming in on the 24th. And we're rescheduling next Tuesday's Jorge Ventura with that Tuesday's Jorge Ventura because he's going on Tim Pool. Carol, ah. listen, we said it. Tim Pool is one of the only. Tim Pool and Tucker, that's who you can push steak for breakfast off down the list a little bit. We'll let you, we'll let you slide. Bish Burr is in on the 1st of July, and Monica De La Cruz, who's looking to represent Texas 15, is coming in on the 8th, same month. We've got a couple other ones in the work. Just found out today Liz Harrington's going to be joining us on an upcoming episode. I just sent an email back to Jake Evans, who's running in the runoff in Georgia 6. He's going to be joining us. Mike Collins will get back with us at some point, and we're going to have Matt Whitaker, former Trump administration acting attorney general of the United States, will be here as well. So... 
we'll solidify those dates hopefully between now and Friday, and then we'll be bringing you guys all the information on when they're going to be on the show. Friends of the week. Let's call our uh, guests coming up here on Friday, two of them. Not far out, Republican actual, Hugh White memes. Let's go, Brenda. Silent meme Jordy. Grand old memes had a couple bangers in the last few days. Who else? Did a collab with Madam America. And Baby Cakes 2.0 shared her some of her stuff this week. Things to remember between now and Friday. Pretty simple what uh, we do here on Steak for Breakfast, even though I added one now. I think we're going to keep rolling with it. Number one, do your own research. Jasmine Ivy did awesome today on the show for the first time. You want to know why? When she opened up her eyes and started looking around, she started doing her own research, and here she is. Major influencer out there. Uh, number two, start a podcast. Not too many edits today. That's easy money just, today. Just, just a little cut and pasty. Number three, let's start talking about American greatness again. Not enough people talk about American greatness. It's time to start. And number four, let's see what happens. This has been episode 141 of the Steak for Breakfast podcast. And we'll be back on Friday with Carrie Lake, Joe Kent, Andrew Coster, Bo Hines, Not Far Out, and Republican Actual. On behalf of the pod team, I'm Marone. Noah? Later. Top tier as usual job today, sir. Miss Antoinette? Bye, guys. See you later. Amazing as always. Thanks for listening, guys. And take care. Tell you something. If Dakota Bob Singer gets elected president, will you say hello to left wing socialism? Because I'll tell you this right now, he's gonna follow the George Soros globalist playbook to a T. Step one, oppress the citizens and confiscate their firearms. Step two, have it all gleefully reported by the so-called news media. And step three, in every classroom around the country, they're gonna teach your kids to hate America, the Constitution, and the Second Amendment. Good for us the silent majority, and the Vought Rifle Association. Let me tell you something, we are armed and we're ready to fight back. Thank you for coming, ladies and gentlemen. Don't forget, two for one on hollow points on the way out. Use the promo code GUNPOWDER. God bless y'all.